we are now record we're now recording chair thank you okay welcome everyone i'd like to welcome you to the regular meeting of the historical preservation commission for may 19 2022 uh, i apologize for any delay that was uh my fault so i apologize for you having to wait um we're gonna, we've called the meeting to order. Is there a consideration by the committee to approve the agenda as provided? Chair Nichols, if, if I may give some opening comments on- um, Okay. Uh, and then call the roll as well. Yes, I'm sorry. I'll slow down, thank you. Good evening, Chair Nichols and the Historic Preservation Commissioners. This meeting is being held pursuant to government code section 54953 subsection E. And in light of the declared state of emergency, the regular meeting of the Historic Preservation Commission on May 19, 2022 will be conducted telephonically through Zoom. I will now call the roll. <clears throat> Commissioner Nathaniel Berkowitz. Here. Commissioner Werner. And you are on, you are on mute, Commissioner Werner. You are still muted, I believe. Just uh, raise your hand if you can hear us. Okay. Uh, Vice Chair Newman. Here. And Chair Nichols. Here. Okay, we do have a quorum. Thank you. Okay, now let's go to um, item three, which is approval of our agenda. You are all provided your agenda. We have several bus business items and um, I'll entertain a motion unless there's a correction or change. So moved. Thank you, David. Is there a second? It looks like Bill's trying to second. Can you hold your hand up, Bill? We still can't hear you. Okay, thank you. Okay, do we need a vote on that? Uh, I, think, I think a voice vote is acceptable for approval of the agenda. Okay, all in favor say aye, please. Aye. 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 Okay, that's unanimous, so I see no opposition. Thank you very much. We'll move on to item four, which is the time for public comments not on the agenda. And I think Adam may have some um, suggestions about how the public can participate in this item. Thank you, Chair. This is the time to hear from citizens regarding matters that are not on the agenda. Except in very limited situations, state law precludes the Historic Preservation Commission from taking action on or engaging in discussions concerning items of business that are not on the agenda. However, the HPC may briefly respond to statements made or questions posed by a member of the public, ask clarifying questions, make a brief statement, or make a brief report on his or, own his or her own activities. The commission may also refer matters not on the agenda to city staff or direct that the subject be agendized for a future meeting. Video or audio public comment participation is limited to three minutes per speaker. If you would like to make a comment, please raise your hand on the Zoom application and you will be called upon when it is your time to speak. To raise your hand from a phone, press star nine. Each speaker will be notified when the time has elapsed. Please state your name when it is your time to speak. I'm not seeing any hands raised, uh, Adam. Can I'm not seeing any, Chair Nichols. Okay, thank you. So we will close item four. 
and move on to our business items. Um, we're starting with uh, declarations. If anybody's had ex parte communications, if anybody's had any um, interactions they'd like to declare on the projects that we're hearing before us. I have none. None. Nate? None. 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 David? No. Um, I just did site visits. I did not speak with anybody, so I really have no communications from anyone. Thank you. Okay. Um, Item 5A is Objective Design and Development Standards Review. I see we have the city's uh, consultant, Bob Brown, with us, who I believe is going to take us through this presentation. And um, I think, Adam, can you help Bob share screen, or does he have that ability? I yes, think I, I have made Bob uh, co-host, so he does have the ability to share screen. Great. And Bob will provide a report on the object Objective Design and Development Standards update. Great. Thank and you, I, Bob. Thank you. I assume you can see my screen? We can. Uh, okay. Can you make it? Oh, there you go. Great. Yep. Okay. Uh, thank you, commissioners. Um, again, we had uh, a session back last December with the Planning Commission on objective design and development standards. And, you know, I think we went a certain distance in terms of understanding and, and some feedback. Um, but I'd like to focus more tonight with the HPC, specifically around the type of, of uh, design review that, that you do and how it's affected by these state laws. So uh, quickly, I'd like to, uh, even though I, I know uh, the city attorney has, has briefed you previously on these new state housing laws, I just want to go through a, a quick refresher. I think that would be helpful. Um, and then really get down to the more practical issues of, of how these state laws may affect uh, the work that you do. And then uh, just to define what are objective uh, design and development standards and what are not. And then let's talk, uh, have a discussion about uh, how we might develop objective design standards that would be useful in terms of your historic preservation review. So with that, uh, let me take you back again to the, the presentations that you've heard previously. We'll start with, there's three laws. We'll start with the Housing Accountability Act. And uh, this is a state law that is applicable to uh, new developments that include two new housing units or more. And those could either be in a multifamily development or in a mixed use project, as long as two thirds of the mixed use project is residential. Um, could even be a single family home that's new and a new second unit together. So it has to be two units. Um, most of these, again, will probably be in multifamily developments. Um, and then in addition, these laws also apply to transitional housing, supportive housing, and emergency shelters. Uh, again, pretty rare on those types of applications. So under uh, projects that qualify for the Housing Accountability Act, um, what kind of city processes apply and which don't? Um, you can still do design review. Um, and with the HPC, you still have the authority to do certificate of appropriateness. In other words, you know, historic design review and CEQA uh, still applies to these projects. So not a lot different uh, than what we're used to, but what can the city not do? Um, you can't deny or reduce the density of these projects uh, if they conform with adopted objective design standards. And that's why we're, we're talking about uh, adopting new objective design standards. Uh, because once these projects comply with those, 
uh, then again, you cannot, as part of your discretionary review, reduce the density or deny these projects. You can impose conditions uh, on the project to change, you know, this or that, you know, this window detail or this fenestration, that's fine, but you cannot impose conditions of approval on these projects that have affordable units, if, those, if that would make those units uh, infeasible or unaffordable. And you can't impose conditions on subjective design criteria, which would result in reducing the density or making the projects financially infeasible. So again, conditions are fine. They just can't be de facto uh, conditions that, that deny the, or, or kill the density on the project. The application process for these projects that qualify for the Housing Accountability Act are pretty tight. The city has to determine compliance with the objective standards that you've adopted within 30 days of the application filing. And that includes any required studies. Um, so that can be limiting in terms of, you know, sometimes in the course of reviews by the Planning Commission or the HPC, you know, you'll need additional information. You'll ask the applicant to submit additional studies. Um, that's not going to be possible. Those things have to be defined upfront uh, before the application is filed. And the other limitation is you can have a maximum of five public hearings, including workshops. Um, so that's Planning Commission, uh, the HPC, the City Council, whichever decision makers are involved, uh, a maximum of total of five public hearings, unless the project is applying for a zone change or a general plan amendment, and then there's no limitations on the hearings. The next uh, law is SB 35, and uh, this is a little more restrictive. It applies again to applications of two or, or more new housing units, again, in multifamily projects or in mixed use projects. Uh, but these, these applications to qualify for SB 35 have to include at least 10% low income units, which in most Marin jurisdictions, they require at least that or more. Um, and the really limiting factor, I think, for places like Sausalito is the projects will ultimately have to pay prevailing construction wages. Currently, uh, only projects that take federal monies, like affordable housing developers, have to pay prevailing wages, or in a few right. cities that have these requirements. Usually, you'll see this in San Francisco or, or Oakland projects, uh, not too often in suburban <laughs> locations. And, and this is a real cost issue. And so uh, it will probably limit the number of SB 35 projects that uh, a town like Sausalito will ultimately see. Uh, what's excluded from SB 35 is anything that involves demolition of a building on a local state or national historic building register. So um, what that means is for the most cases, the, the things you deal with will not be SB 35 qualified projects. Um, you also cannot have uh, apply for an SB 35 project um, if you are demolish, demolishing affordable units or if you're demolishing units that were rented in the past 10 years, they're trying to reduce displacement. And also properties that have mapped wetlands or in a floodplain have a mapped uh, protected species habitat or are in one of the CAL FIRE high fire severity zones, which there are none in Sausalito or, or very, very few if, if any. And in terms of the process, uh, this is a big difference. Uh, SB 35 
it tries to create a streamlined process that's ministerial. So there's no discretion involved. Um, it has to be approved if the project meets the adopted objective design and development standards. There is no ability to do public hearings um, uh, or review it in that sense or, or discretionary review. In terms of application requirements, in this case, the city has to determine compliance with the objective standards within 60 days of the filing. Um, and uh, consistency review, if it's extended by the applicant, et cetera, cannot exceed 90 days. So a very short window on these applications. Now, last one is SB9. Uh, this applies only to single family zoning districts. And again, it excludes properties in historic districts, a little different than SB 35, but it excludes properties in historic districts or designated state or local historic landmarks. So again, uh, as a result, the HPC probably will not be seeing any SB 9 applications. Uh, the other projects that are exempted from SB 9 being applicable are uh, projects that demolish affordable units, again, or units rented <clears throat> within the last three years, not 10 uh, as SB 35, but three years. And then again, properties that are mapped wetlands, floodplain, uh, protected species habitat, or a CAL FIRE, high fire severity zone, would not be able to apply for SB 9. Now, the, in terms of the uh, approval processes, um, this is a little complicated, but Projects that qualify for SB 9 uh, are uh, subject to ministerial approval again, and they can do one or both uh, of these two things. One is they could add two separate residential units. They can be rented or they can be sold separately. So a single family lot now can have two primary dwelling units on it. Um, and in addition, if the applicant chooses and has a large enough lot, if the lot's over 2,400 square feet, that lot can be subdivided into two parcels, each at least 1,200 square feet. And you can have then two units developed on each of those lots. So you can develop up to four units. Again, no public hearings. Um, and the review is limited to objective development standards. Um, and those standards cannot preclude physically the construction of two units that are at least each 800 square feet. So what do all these, these new state laws mean in terms of your work? As I said, SB 35 and, and SB 9 automatically preclude properties that are in the historic district or which demolish a listed landmark structure. So again, you are not likely to see much of that. Um, the, the Historic Preservation Commission will see projects that qualify for the Housing Accountability Act. So those projects that are two plus new multifamily units, um, you will likely see if they're in the historic district or if they involve a, a uh, historic uh, landmark structure. And the HPC will continue to review uh, HP, HAA, Housing Accountability Act eligible project, projects, and you can continue to make recommendations on design related issues like historic character and such, um, again, but they cannot, your, your decisions cannot result in denying the project or reducing its density or making the affordable units uh, infeasible financially or making the whole project financially infeasible. So those are the limitations. 
And also, as I say, the time frame for reviewing these applications for completeness and conformance with the objective standards is limited time-wise. And the number of hearings are limited. And again, the ability to require additional studies after the submittal of the application are limited. So those really are the impacts uh, I think that, that you'll be experiencing. My take again is that you won't see a lot of these projects, even the, the Housing Accountability Act projects, because again, how often are, do we have projects in the historic district that add two or more housing units? Relatively rare. So again, I, I don't think you'll see a lot of these. So again, what are objective standards? And we talked, I know Mary Wagner talked about this and we talked about this back in December. Uh, again, objective standards, uh, quoting from uh, the State uh, Department of Housing and Community Development, are those that involve no personal or subjective judgment by a public official. And they can be uniformly verifiable by reference to an external or uniform benchmark criterion, available and knowable by both the development applicant or proponent and the public official. So things like zoning standards that are setbacks or height limits or floor area ratio limits or density limits. Those things are quantified and they're knowable um, in advance by applicants. And it doesn't take any judgment at all to check the box if they comply with those numeric standards. Where we do run into problems are um, a lot of our design review standards are subjective. Things like, and these are from the Historic Preservation Ordinance, uh, proposed work shall not adversely affect the special character and or specific historic architectural or aesthetic interest or value of the structure. So again, those things are very much in the eye of the beholder. So these would be subjective, not objective. Or any new construction addition or exterior change shall be compatible with the character of the historic overlay district. Again, that requires <laughs> judgment and applicants can't know if their project will meet that, that criterion in advance. So these kinds of things, again, on HAA projects, you'll be able to still apply these standards and add conditions as long as they don't, again, deny the project, reduce its density, or make it financially unfeasible. So what can we do in terms of uh, objective design standards that uh, address historic preservation? In any, in any detail. Um, one option is we could go about hiring a consultant, do a detailed evaluation of the properties in the historic district. And we could have that consultant develop very specific Sausalito-based design standards uh, for design compatibility with the existing historic structures in the district. Um, this would probably take some time it would be certainly a cost. You're talking probably tens of thousands of dollars, um, probably several months to get there. Um, and again, I guess the question is how practical is that since you'll probably see relatively few projects that qualify and the historic district is relatively small. Um, the second option, and we discussed this back in December, is we could adopt very detailed historic district architectural standards um, that are already you know, available off the shelf. And we showed you these, um, the, the city is pursuing the objective standards that come with uh, the form-based code that Opticos has prepared countywide. Um, several of the cities in Marin are adopting these and the county 
Um, we're going through that process to try to customize them for Sausalito. Back in December, we showed you that part of those standards can be very, very detailed architectural standards. These things regulate, you know, the the facade. They they recommend they regulate storefront design, you know, window sizing and dimensions, and and you know, style doors, fenestration materials. Um, so. Your reaction back in December was, this is too detailed for Sausalito. It's too prescriptive. Um, we're not Disneyland. We don't necessarily want to um, you know, make everything a historic style um, in the historic district. So again, our intention is not to pursue that. I'm just bringing that up as, as one of the options. Um, and then lastly, uh, another option is to just uh, allow the, the citywide design and development standards that we're creating uh, with this new form-based code. And without those architectural detailed standards, just using the base uh, form-based code and having that suffice for any uh, Housing Accountability Act qualifying project that would occur in the historic district. Again, the HPC would use those standards um, and you can go beyond those, again, as long as your conditions don't deny or decrease density. Uh, so those are, are three options I wanna put in front of you. I guess the only thing I would say is um, I've done a pretty extensive search uh, statewide to see who else is addressing this. Um, and the answer is really not much out there. Um, even places like uh, Pasadena that are well known for their historic preservation programs, um, their planner says that they have not adopted uh, objective standards for historic review. So they are simply, again, using their, their subjective guidelines. And when they have a, uh, an SB 35 project there, uh, you know, they're simply not going to be able to apply those. Um, even places like that have adopted objective standards. I mean, probably the, the one that comes to mind is Santa Barbara has um, quite a bit easier though, because there we're really talking about one principle architectural style. Um, you know, mission revival. And so, you know, it's much easier there to create design standards that relate to that one style than trying to do something that cuts across many, many styles. So that's what I want to share with you tonight. Again, the main takeaways, I don't think you'll see many of these projects um, at all, because again, it's limited to the historic district and adding two or more housing units. And again, even for those reviews of the HAA projects, you will still have discretion, again, just limited in terms of denying the project or, the, or reducing density. So with that, I'd love to have uh, some discussion with you about how you think we should go about, or the Planning Commission will ultimately go about adopting uh, new objective standards and how those should relate or not to uh, special cases in the historic district. And any questions you may have. Chair Nichols, you are on mute. I didn't want to make any noise, pardon me. I wanted to thank Bob for the review. I think that's helpful. And the con we've already heard this a couple of times, but just getting the review as a refresher is great. And I would like to ask if any of the commissioners have any questions of Bob. Let's do questions first about the presentation and then maybe we'll come back to comments and we're gonna take public comment as well. So any questions of um, Mr. Brown about his presentation, what you heard? 
Okay, I don't see any. I have a couple, Bob. Um, on page, I'm using, I had a hard copy of the staff packet because it's just easier for me to manage. So what I'm referring to is slide that came out on 249, which is summary of the state housing laws, um, restrictions on city discretion, that slide, Housing Accountability okay. Act. On the last bullet, um, I'm curious, uh, I, I understand the idea about not making something so financially unfeasible that it's not practical. However, um, if you're dealing with a historic resource that really is um, the only acceptable way for restoration or rehabilitation is a strict adherence to the Secretary of Interior standards, sometimes that requires defining objects to be made and whatever. So is, is this purview that we have diluted? Uh, we wouldn't be making it unnecessarily, but I certainly don't want to see plastic, you know, woodwork to replace something that is uh, had been crafted previously. Well, it would depend in each specific case. I mean, you know, you would look certainly at what the entire project budget is, and then you know what these specific uh, design requirements that you've you've placed on it, let's say through conditions of approval, and how much do those 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 add to the cost of the project. I mean, if it's if it's extremely minor and you know the hundredths of a percent, that's probably not going to have a be a problem whatsoever. If it starts being you know a significant added cost, and the developer then comes back and says, you know, according to my pro forma, you know, this isn't going to work for me anymore. Well, at that point, you're into a, a back and forth, probably with with legal advisors, um, looking at that pro forma and you know looking at some of the assumptions for profit, et cetera. It's a judgment call, um, and it will have to be made on a case by case basis. So, um, I can't say that it won't limit you. Uh, it may, but again, it would have to be a, a you know some pretty pricey add-ons, I would think. It to... depends. It's probably on the pro uh, the project, but unless there's an objection from the rest of the commission, I would just like that noted that we're obligated in some cases to use those standards for some of our more important. Uh, uh, historic resources and I I would not be I certainly don't want to make the project more expensive but I don't want to compromise because of cost if that resource is uh, important so if we could just note that I'd like that to go on the record um, and I guess the other point I'd make is CEQA does still apply and so of course you know the CEQA analysis would take into account the historicity and you know what the mitigations are for that and so Again, that kind of mitigation could come down through the sequel process as well. Okay, thanks. Um, next question is on the slide that was I show as page 251, and it's the next one about application process requirements. Mm -hmm. And um, oh, wait, that's what we just talked about. Um, so my other thing would be, I started reading the packet to understand the form-based descriptions. Didn't read the whole packet, but I got in here for a while and I intend to, but for our purposes, it looks like the form-based code will be replacing, in a nutshell, user code. So if we have individual structures that we are told we can have a review over, if they're on a list, and they're within one of these form-based areas, how, whatever that 
code is for that area? How does this um, isolated, perhaps historic structure, who, who, what's the tension on that and who prevails? Well, the idea is that for the Housing Accountability Act projects that are, are um, that qualify, that we would be using this form-based code. But again, we're, you're probably not looking at building modifications much. You're talking about projects that add two or more units. So in okay. most cases, you're probably talking about a new structure or an addition. And that new structure or that addition would be subject to the form-based code. So again, a lot of that, particularly in the historic district downtown, is trying to get the building up at the street frontage, trying to make sure that, um, you know, that the height is, is reasonable, um, putting the parking to the rear, those sorts of things is, is really what the form-based code is trying to, to uh, mandate. Okay, and probably not likely that are that much because we know that <laughs> We do not, you know, our, our list needs to be more robust and documented, and that's just an ongoing wish list. So um, lastly, I would ask, you mentioned um, on the, um, this one is on 264, and it was options for the design standards, which you answered in three different, two or three different options. But when I read this, the thing that stuck out to me was that there wouldn't be, um, there might not be time for our review anymore. That was really problematic <laughs> because of these new timelines. So again, I don't think that's the case because as I say, SB 35 and SB 9 projects will not be qualified in the historic district or dealing with a landmark. So those are the projects that are ministerial and have a very short time run. The Housing Accountability Act projects, um, that their their only time restriction is the initial finding of completeness of the application, and from that point on, the only limitation is five hearings total. So you're not under a, a time constraint with the Housing Accountability Act projects. So where are we though in our our regulations? If we have not placed something on the list, but the probability of it being a resource, where do we stand with that? That's where you have a problem. Um, That's what I thought. Yeah, because you will not then be able to ask, you know, for a study from an architectural historian to, to make a determination if, if it could qualify as, as a historic structure to be added to the list. That's what this law is trying to do, is trying to make cities define your rules up front. So uh, again, at that point, the city really would be best served by, you know, expanding its, its, its historic building inventory as a separate study in advance and trying to then landmark those structures. Absolutely. And will you please underscore that point when you're reporting mm -hmm. back to the planning commission? Sure. We're asking for that. That's very important for us. Sure. sure. Thank you. I think more um, than anything, though, it's, it's probably a council discussion about budgeting. Oh, absolutely. Well, we had the money before it was taken away from us. I've been on this commission off and on for a long time. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> Um, does anybody else have any questions before we um, open this up and see if we, oh, sorry, David, Vice Chair David? Just a quick question. I think I'm understanding this, but local landmarks are considered as well as state or national? Yes. Correct? Okay, yes. thanks. So even <clears throat> if we just get our locals beefed up, we will have 
we will be able to exercise what discretion we have. So it's very important. Mm -hmm. True. Thank you. Um, Adam, do you want to ask if there's any public comment? We haven't, anybody, any other commissioner before we go to the public? Okay, um, let's go and see if our public has any comments. The sun's starting to get in my eyes, so I'm going to see what I can do here. If the public would like to comment, you can raise your hand in the Zoom app, or if you're calling from a phone, press star nine. And I'm not seeing any hands raised, Chair Nichols. Okay, we will close public comment and bring it back then to the commission. And I think what would be helpful is uh, Bob asked a couple of questions during his presentation. And <clears throat> any comments on that? I think, Bob, if you wouldn't mind going over the, the one in particular about what the options are, and we'll sure. some feedback, because I think that's, this is a great opportunity. I appreciate you uh, getting this to us so we have another chance to comment on the draft. Quite all right. Let me, uh, let me make this full screen. Let's see, slideshow. Okay, uh, so again, the, the three options as I see them um, is first of all, we could again, do a very detailed evaluation of properties in the historic district and have a consultant come up with design standards for anything that would be built in the historic district. Uh, again, probably a pretty costly and, and somewhat lengthy process. Uh, the second would be, as we discussed back in December that uh, you were not necessarily enamored with was adopting the very detailed architectural style standards in the Opticos form-based code. And then lastly, um, just allow the, the planning commission and the council to adopt uh, this form-based code and just accept the fact that, you know, it will regulate the, the size and scale and, and the storefront design of buildings uh, in the historic district, but we would not have special, uh, you know, district uh, specific design standards. So without that, anything that we, in, in our review would be considered subjective, almost even as a condition, right? Yes, but again, with Housing Accountability Act projects, um, those that don't qualify for SB 35 or SB 9, um, even though you, know, you have subjective standards, you can employ those as long as your conditions don't deny or, or cause the project to be financially infeasible. And so th those are the restrictions. So you still have the ability to do subjective review and, and make conditions of approval, again, that, that don't result in costs that totally blow the, the project feasibility out of the water. Okay, thank you. Um, are there, is there any comment on this? about what option might be the, it, it, I guess I'd ask too, is there uh, an understanding of what the implication of these laws are, and then your thoughts on which will um, maintain the greatest ability legally that we have for uh, review? Well, again, if you're willing to spend the time and the money, um, developing you know, historic district specific design standards would, would certainly put you in the best position because then you will have objective standards um, and you can apply those uh, to these projects. Uh, and it, it certainly eliminates a lot of the confusion 
um, and then debates about you know what's financially feasible, et cetera. So that that certainly is the, your strongest case. Again, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars and probably you know several months. Um, sort of a parallel process to what we're doing for the citywide standards. Um, and then again, I think the third standard, the third option here is, um, you know, just go with our, our basic standards um, and assume that, that, you know, they will work adequately well in the historic district as they will, you know, citywide. And time will tell, frankly. I mean, we're, we're, we're adopting these standards. We think that they're well thought out, um, but, you know, it, it will take experience with them because they are, they are a, a different type of zoning code. So when you're talking about the new draft, uh, we've, we've been, I think, pretty much in step with each other in not wanting the style um, choices to be used in the district. Right. Does, that, does this new code, which has the styles, is that what you're saying we'd have to use? Yeah, and, and our current direction to the consultants is that we're removing that chapter from, from the draft. Um, for, again, just, for the HPC or just in general? Uh, in general, we, we would not have those architectural style standards anywhere for any development oh. in town. Okay. So again, I, I put that in there as you know, sort of a straw man. I think you've already shot it down. Um, but again, I just wanted to show it as one of the options. Uh, so I think we're probably looking more at options one or, one or three based upon your initial feedback. Okay, that's very helpful. So does that help elicit comments that we're really focusing in probably on um, <coughs> options one and three? I would like it if people could give their thoughts. I think this is important. And this is our opportunity. I believe the schedule on, on this is they'll have to go to planning and then um, to the council. But I think you're shooting to get, try to get this done early summer. Is that right, Bob? Uh, well, hopefully before the council recess later summer, yes. Yeah, so we may not get another option. So I'd like to get your, um, I'd like you to use your opportunity to provide feedback, let me put it that way. <laughs> if anybody'd like to start. <clears throat> Any other questions about the options that were just clarified? No comments. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> the question I have is about financial feasibility, and I'm not sure anybody can answer that one. But um, obviously, uh, if we're relying on the developer's um, opinion of financial fe feasibility, it, it, <laughs> it could uh, they could object to any change that was going to be made. Uh, and so I guess the question, and I'm not sure, Bob, that you can answer that, but um, how is that thought of uh, in terms of a test? Is the expectation that the jurisdiction is going to have its own financial feasibility assessment? In which case, you know, who would do that for our city? Um, and given the current market, issues it's there are a lot lot of arguments about what financial feasibility actually means right um, and so i just wondered what the the context is of the discussion that you may hear out in the broader world about this because of interest rates inflation whether prevailing wage rates um etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, having been on 
the side of the owner on many occasions uh, trying to assess what what financial feasibility mm. actually means. Uh, you know where I'm going with this question. I, mean, I do. It's just gener do. generally what what is the, the the world at large thinking about this? Well, it you know defining financial feasibility is kind of like defining pornography. It's you know it's <laughs> case by case you know uh, evaluation and. Um, you're right. You, you know, you know, financial performance for development projects. They have dozens of of assumptions. Uh, you know, any one of which you can modify just slightly and, and get a different result. Um, so, what would happen is the city uh, would attorney would very get, quickly get involved. The city would probably hire a consultant, somebody who is either in development finance or you know construction uh, cost estimating or both. Uh, they would go over the developer's pro forma. They would try to shoot holes in it. Um, and again, it is sort of a back and forth. And then ultimately, uh, probably the at least internal decision maker on something like that would be the city attorney. And, and it comes down to, you know, how much risk does the city want to take in being sued? So again, it's a very convoluted answer, but it is very much a case by case evaluation. Yeah, I brought this up in the context of what you probably have read today or seen online about Concord and uh, their continuing attempts to develop the formal naval naval depot there. And um, they're in, you know, that's a huge project, of course, but they're, they're into discussions that will be in millions of dollars. I don't think Sausalito will get that far, at least sure. for a while. So um, the answer is what you gave, which is <laughs> case by case evaluation. It's going to be a case by case evaluation. Yeah. yeah. The other, uh, this is more a curiosity question than I think number three, at least in my mind, seems to be the only workable one at the moment. Um, I am hearing or reading from sources that form based code will actually be an AI assessment fairly soon that uh, that you can take a project uh, proposal and run it through a machine and it'll tell you whether it complies or not uh, and i was just curious if there's been any conversation about that i'm not suggesting that people like adam will not have a position in the future <laughs> but i'm suggesting that uh, this could be more um let's say, you know, either A or B, right. you know, in the future and not that some of these things about that you're raising, which may be there for the short term, may not be there for very long, including whether or not the cost modeling could be done at the same time as the assessment of uh, compliance with the form. Have you well, heard any of things like that? Yeah, I have, and that's a really fine question. Um, you're right. You know, the state pushing us to have objective standards <clears throat> does create the opportunity to be able to do plan checking on these things uh, in a much more uh, streamlined or or even a you know a digital manner. And right. so, actually, uh, ABAG is pursuing this. Uh, the Association of Barrier Governments. Mm. They've actually hired Opticos and and a, uh, a computer software firm. And they are trying to test uh, some software that would do this. I think that they picked something like six or 10 cities 
uh, as part of an experiment. So that, that work is being done and will be done uh, probably for the next several months or year or so. And uh, again, hopefully something will come of it because it would be great. You know, I mean, <laughs> clear places like Sausalito that was, is so, uh, you know, uh, staff constrained, um, you know, right. to be able to have software like that to do these ba very basic checks would be terrific. With the, and I'm, I'll quit, but that just uh, seems to me that the other question would be, would the project proponent have to agree going in when they submit their project that they're going to uh, uh, comply with whatever the outcome of that, uh, I'll call it machine assessment, mm -hmm. assessment is? I don't know about that. I think, you know, the, after the machine assessment and then the results are provided, I think, you know, the applicant could certainly challenge them, but again, they'd have to have a basis for it. Okay. I was just curious to go further with that. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That was an interesting question. Thank you. Um, any other, Nate or, or Bill, any comments? Oh, my only comment is that I'm very happy that I've retired. <laughs> I'm thrilled I'm no longer a planning director. Trust me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> it is a strange yeah. new world out there. I, it, you know, I, I mean, the, 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 the end result of all of this is blandness forever for everybody, everywhere, because that's the way even form form based design uh, is 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 so constrained in terms of of any creative interpretation of what's being what's being done that one would would or from my point of view um, the future is pretty pre pretty dim um, and gone uh, for having anything of any any interesting innovative consequence. Uh, that is ability that is able to get through this 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 web of 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 uh, what seemed to me to me be primarily um, uh, systems to make the developer more money um, throughout the way the process works. Well, I guess my, um, my, my, my response would be my biggest concern is that the state and its wisdom will essentially eliminate all design review. I don't think we're there yet, but you know, my concern is you know, if, if you think about places like Gersel Park in San Rafael, you know, back in, in you know, the 50s and 60s, that neighborhood of, of beautiful single family homes and bungalows you know, they, they allowed apartments with no design review. And, you know, so that neighborhood is a real mix now of yep. some pretty god-awful 50s and 60s apartments yep. and some beautiful old homes. That's Again, right. we're, we're not there yet. And I, I think, frankly, the form-based code is, is certainly far better um, in dealing with that because you won't get buildings like those apartments that have, you know, ground floor parking where the whole front of the building is stuck up on stilts with parking underneath it. The form-based code precludes that kind of stuff. So it, it will eliminate the worst of the worst. Will, will it deal with fine details? You know, not necessarily. I hope you're right more than I am. <laughs> so if no one else has any comments, I, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'd like to add some. And Bob, for the point of what you would pass on, I guess, to the Planning Commission subcommittee uh, that in turn, I think would give the feedback from the HPC. 
my um, and I'd like to test this out and see if there's consensus. I'll, I'll just give my opinion, and, and unless I'm wildly off here with the rest of you, um, we might be able to send this forward as a uh, recommendation. My first thought would be obviously um, the first choice would be the best. We also know the budget constraints are not likely that's going to happen. But I would like to put that out there that we want any of any special resources that we can get because if we don't say it and something happens, we'll never get it. However, I can live with three because uh, I think we, we obviously are not getting a lot of choices here. But my main goal is to figure out again not to be obstructive. We know we have to legally comply, but let's hang on to the most um, the the. the procedures that give us the most uh, discretion or review that we can get within these laws. So um, it, number three, again, was um, essentially using the, the proposed, the form-based code that will come out of the planning commission process and use that in the historic district for these HAA qualified projects. Yeah, without the specific building types. So what we get out of them is probably gonna, I'll try to keep my planning commission hat off of this, but that would tell me that we're talking about, uh, you know, setbacks from the streets, uh, that kind of thing, without regardless to architectural style so much, but more about place and the way the buildings are situated. And uh, Bill has been a planning commissioner and I know David knows this, does that sound like, something um, that we feel comfortable going forward with. I doubt that we're gonna see a lot of these, but I have no, who knows, right? We just don't know anything. I feel like we're kind of operating in the dark here. Everyone is. And I know that even on, you know, housing elements and everything else, everything is not answered. Even the state doesn't have these answers. So we don't know how they work until maybe we get some of these test cases. But would you be able to, feel comfortable with option three, knowing that we won't have these uh, confinements of these styles. My worst example being all of a sudden a tutor being plopped down in the middle of our historic district where there's never been a tutor, a tutor structure there. Um, could you live with that? And, or um, if you'd like to amend any of that recommendation, I'd like to, um, we have some other business items but I want to make sure everybody gets a crack at this because I, as I said, I'm not sure we'll get another one. Would that be a reasonable uh, recommendation from us? First, we want to get the, we'd love to have the DOTA do the professional study. And number three, we could live with what the, the planning commission will come up under form base, excluding specific building styles for HAA projects. Talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> David, do you have any thoughts? Okay, Nate. Yes, thanks, Nate. Is there any way we could talk about time? Um, we've talked about cost and sort of shows you, you don't really want to be in the costing business <clears throat> and shouldn't be. But time seems to be a much more important aspect of whatever we do than any other than any other factor, 
And I don't know where it would put it, how you would fit it in, and what kind of timing limits there might be. But I have a feeling that um, it would be more beneficial to the future if we had time restraint or time quotas on what we do today. And so I haven't thought this out very far, but I, I, I think that this is worth a little bit of discussion. So do you mean time to have this discussion and provide input or adjust? <clears throat> no, I mean the time, the time involved in from from create from creation to uh, completion. I believe those are baked into the state laws, but I'd like to get Bob's opinion on that. You know, like the forty-five days, et cetera. Is that what you mean, Nate? Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing structures that we've talked about in this group, <clears throat> this commission for a couple of years that are still incomplete, and it was time wasted on our part, on the city's part, and we still have no construction. You know, can I make a suggestion? When we come down to uh, communications from HPC members, can you bring that up? Because I think that is more to do with enforcement on permit duration than applying to the code here, if, if that would work for you. I think that's what you're talking about. In part. Okay. Do you have any specific, specific thoughts? None at all. As I said, I just feel that the element of time is as important as whether the uh, the roofs are structured uh, in accordance with time is, with, with the way it was done some time ago, 50 years ago, 50 plus one years ago. Okay, why don't you bring it up again and we'll see what we can do with that. Okay? Okay. Thanks. Will do. Bill? Hmm? Are you, you, you've added your comments. Uh, I'm Are sorry. Okay with one sort of going with one and three. Oh, I, as far as I'm concerned, one and two are, are both so um, restrictive and restrained that, that, that they, you, you, you might as, you might as well shut down any, any kind of, of, of architectural um, uh, creativity at all. I mean, uh, number three is the only one that leaves at least a little tiny bit of wiggle room. Okay. For for one one two, you, you know, uh, uh, um, get 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 in the, in the old playground of of, of design. Okay, David. <clears throat> yes, here it goes. Uh, I agree with Bill. I think number three is the way to go. Okay. You mind? And uh, I want to just remind, and Bob can correct me if I'm wrong with this, but if we have a landmark structure that has property that's large enough that they could subdivide it, um, for not in the historic district, <laughs> overlay district. <laughs> that they would be subject to a review uh, and that that would mean there would be the compatibility with whatever the whatever we help to define 
within number three's boundaries. So <laughs> we do have a lot of eclectic architecture here and we're gonna look at one in a few minutes and uh, it is hardly what is downtown. So I think number three allows for that adaptation, which is if the property that has a Spanish revival house on it and they subdivide the lot and want to put another building on it. And yeah, that Spanish revival house, not talking about the one we're going to look at next, but a Spanish revival house of significance, we would have the freedom under number three to do form-based code and interpret the specifics of that area. And I, I think number one, like Bill, is too constraining for the downtown area. Uh, having gone through those kind of exercises myself and other cities, and so I'm I'm fine with number three, and I just want everybody to understand <clears throat> it applies to. Once we get our official historic properties list, which I totally support what Vicky's saying on that, we're way overdue on that, that we would be able to apply number three to a subdivision, I'll call it, of a property that had a, no, you know, any type of architecture on it, contemporary, Spanish revival, whatever, even Tudor, if we have any of those around here, Vicki, I'm just teasing you. Yeah, no, but <laughs> but um, anyway, enough said, I support number three. Okay. Um, I, I think that's the most feasible uh, alternative or option as well. Um, I think if any council is interested or planning commissioner, they can listen to this tape and see that we would, you know, ideally we would like some financial support with our historic work where just in general, um, the likelihood that it's going to come out of the sky is not um, great. So understanding that um, I, I'm going to go with three, but I still would like to keep on the table the comment that um, our commission needs some financial assistance to exercise our abilities to codify some of these things, to clarify them for our review, as well as clarity for applicants. So I'd like to not dilute that message. And um, Bob, would you like a, a, a motion on this or do you wanna, I, I don't know what action, let's see. Uh, there didn't appear to be an action on this. Can we just receive your report and provide this feedback and yes. assume yes. you will take this back for us to the yeah. next bodies? My take is your, your feedback seems to be unanimous. So yeah, I'm happy to take that back to the planning commission subcommittee. Okay, terrific. Thank you very much. It's a, it's an important subject and I appreciate you coming back to us and giving us a crack at it again. Thanks. Quite all right. And thank you for your tough questions. Those were good. Okay, thank you. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Um, okay, ready to move on to item 5B, which is 28 Spencer Court. Um, Adam, will you announce this project for us, please? Absolutely, Chair Nichols. Thanks so much. Thank you. The next item on your agenda is a request for a historic determination, a historic resource determination at 28 Spencer Court. And I will be presenting the staff presentation for this item. And I just wanted to let you all know that the applicant is also on the call and has also prepared a presentation with some additional information 
um, regarding the ownership history, as well as some records that she has found. Um, so I'm going to provide a brief presentation and give an overview of the request. Um, and then whenever you all are ready, the applicant has prepared some additional information. So I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen here. <clears throat> And let me know if you can see my screen. Yes, looks good. Okay, thank you, Chair. Thanks. So again, this request is for a historic resource determination at 28 Spencer Court. The project number is 2022-92. And this photo shows the site location. <clears throat> you can see here it's at the end of Spencer Court, um, also between Prospect Ave and near the corner of Spencer Ave and Prospect Ave. And it, um, yes. So I will bring up this in just a moment, but um, the applicant has referenced the property at 19 Prospect Ave here as well, um, which may get into the confusion with some of the addressing, but the applicant has additional information on that. The HRD packet was prepared by uh, architect Ms. Megan Kelly Sweeney, who is on the call tonight, and was submitted to the CDD department in February, uh, February 25 of this year. And with their application, they've included the application, uh, site photos, permit history, owner's, owner's history, as well as some supplement, supplemental information regarding the bird's nest cottage. Now, the reason this request is before you tonight, um, what triggered the review is the applicant applied for a zoning permit to construct a 106 square foot addition, um, including a junior accessory dwelling unit at the property. The planner who was assigned to the project at that time um, noticed that this address was flagged as a noteworthy structure. And in looking at our list of noteworthy structures, it is noted that 28 Spencer is included on that list as the bird's nest cottage. Um, it's also included on the historic properties directory for Sausalito, but with the designation of 7N, which when you look at that code list means needs to be re-evaluated. Now the applicant believes, and she will include more information here, um, that according to her research that 28 Spencer Court was errantly listed as a historic resource and they are requesting HPC review of the application materials and that the HPC make an advisory determination confirming the applicant's assertion that the property was errantly listed as historic and to determine that the property does not qualify as a historic resource according to the criteria under, under the public resources code sections listed. So to summarize, there are two main considerations. The facts surrounding the designation as a noteworthy structure titled the Bird's Nest Cottage and the building's potential to be a historic resource based upon those criteria. So a little bit of information about the structure. <clears throat> the assessor's records note that this structure was constructed around 1923. However, with the applicant's research, she believes that it was constructed sometime between 1911 and 1919 per Sanborn maps. Um, as far as the overall style, 28 Spencer Court is a typical Spanish colonial revival building with the white stucco exterior, red clay tile roofing, wood windows, and divided lights. Uh, comprised of multiple volumes of varying heights uh, from one to three stories. And she notes that the property has been significantly altered and expanded over the years. And concludes by saying that while it does feature some typical features of a Spanish colonial revival building, that the property is not an exceptional or particularly emblematic example of the style, nor does it have distinctive art artistic features. 
So these are some photos that the applicant included in their application. And there are some listed here as well, or shown here as well. Um, these are neighboring photos that the previous planner on the project had taken. And some of these were actually included for a previous request at 19 Prospect Ave, um, as these properties are located directly abutting one another. So you can see a mix of styles here. <clears throat> and this is the permit history that the applicant provided with their materials, starting with the most recent. Um, and then the next side, next slide shows the oldest renovations or work that's been done. Um, some of the work of note that had some effect on the exterior of the structure um, would be this construction of the single story garage on the concrete foundation with the relocation of the entry stairway, um, the renovation of the second floor, plus the addition of 440 square feet above the dining room, replacement of the deck. Um, you can see here some other interior renovations as well. And these, these are some of the older permits that the applicant was able to track down as far as work that's been done. <clears throat> this is a list of the past residents and owners at the property, starting from the original owner, Mr. William Lewis Cobb, who was noted as a mining engineer. And the applicant in her presentation will go into a bit more detail on the confusion of the um, Cobbs being William Lewis Cobb versus H.A. Cobb and that significance with the bird's nest cottage. Uh, but after Mr. William Lewis Cobb, the structure was occupied by his wife, Miss Carrie Cobb. After her, the structure was occupied by uh, Miss Cobb's sister, Miss Apzell. And there is a bit of a gap after 1958. The applicant does note that as late as, uh, or as early as 72, um, there is some evidence of Mr. and Mrs. Bowen having done some work, but there is a bit of a gap there between 58 and 72. Um, and then in 1987 to 2017, Ms. Penpraise has occupied the structure. And then most recently tenants of the current owners, Mr. and Mrs. Tierney. So according to the applicant's research, the structure was not associated with significant events in history and recommends a finding of no significance. And again, again according to the applicant's research, the structure is not associated with people um, of note or prominent people in uh, history and recommends a finding of no significance. And according to the research and the applicant's professional analysis, the structure is not the work of any prominent creative individuals, nor is it emblematic of a particular style or era and concludes by recommending a finding of no significance. So that concludes the staff presentation and again, um, whenever you are ready, the applicant has additional information that she would like to provide. Thank you. Are there any questions of staff before we hear from the applicant? Okay, seeing none. And Adam, we're still using our standard 15 minutes. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. And if we ask you questions, um, I don't see your last, your last name here, Megan, excuse me. Um, but if we ask you questions, we'll stop the clock um, and give you that 15 minutes. Uh, probably likely the questions will be after your presentation. So you can start when you're ready. Um, I think you probably are able to screen share. I've just given Megan co-hosting abilities and Megan, when you are ready, you can unmute yourself. Great, thanks. Thank you. Um, 
let me see if I can share my screen. I think that'll probably be easiest. Um, or maybe I'll start with just a, a, a little dive into some of the details. And then I have a few um, historical maps and some photos to, to talk through as well. And um, I have to say, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to to run through all this, I know it's a, it's quite a story and it actually was really kind of fun to dig into. And um, I learned a lot from the, the Sausalito news, which was, was great to have access to. Um, so as we dug into looking at the, the sequence of ownership, um, we found that H.A. Cobb's Bird's Nest Cottage is mentioned in the Sausalito news as early as 1890. Um, and is noted as being near Wildwood Glen, near Casno and Glen, um, and in some of the other uh, supplemental information. There's also, you know, some notes about him living for a long time on on Casno. Um, and my apologies if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Um, H. A. Cobb died in 1907 and left one daughter, uh, Mamie Cobb. Um, and 28 Spencer Court was part of Lot 8, Block 13, um, which was owned by Helen Warburton. Let me just switch to the maps as we go forward here and share my screen. Let's see. Okay. Are you able to see these maps here? Yes. Okay, great. So this is the 1909 map. Um, and I'm just gonna jump out of order a little bit uh, given the narrative I was just giving you. So in, in looking back at the, the ownership sequence for this property, um, we found this map from 1889 that indicates Miss Warburton uh, in this area, which is basically what later becomes uh, Spencer Court. Um, and, and this subsequent map kind of helps. Um, show you this this way. Uh, this is from um, at least 1884 uh, because of the alignment of the railroad. And we zoom in, you can see a little bit more context for that other map from 1889, where this is the, the area where um, Ms. Warburton is noted uh, on that previous map. And there's some other landmarks there, like the, the Clawson family as well, that, and, and Prospect Avenue, which is still there, um, that, that helped orient us. And then Miss um, Warburton is recorded in the Sausalito News as having sold the property in 1891 to um, Millard Hudson, who then appears to own the property at least through 1901 when he takes out a deed of trust um, with, with the bank, basically. Uh, so this entire time from through the 1890s, um, when H.A. Cobb 
was known to be of Bird's Nest Cottage, this property where 28 Spencer Court is now was owned by other people. Um, so that coupled with um, the fact that it was known to be near Wildwood Glen, as well as the Samber maps, which I'll get into a moment, kind of point to the fact that it's likely somewhere else. And we did really dig around to see if we could find Bird's Nest Cottage. Um, and unfortunately, we couldn't locate it any more precisely than having it be near Wildwood Glen. Um, this is the 1909. Let's can get that to go away. My apologies. Let's see. I can full screen again. Um, this is the 1909 Sanborn map, which I don't know if this is locking you guys still. Um, this area here is where I'm going to look at it this way. Um, this area here is where Spencer Court would be. Um, and we can see some buildings that uh, show up again in the 1919 map, which helped orient us. And at the bottom of this edge, it says, you know, hillside beyond no no expos, no exposures, um, which would give one to believe that there, there's no wood structures past this, um, past this edge at the time that they, they surveyed this area leading up to the 1909 publication of the Sanborn map. Um, and then in 1919, we see a lot more development has occurred by the time they published the 1919 map. And here is, is Spencer Court. Um, this is Spencer Court and here is 28 Spencer Court. Um, so the building didn't seem to be developed even at the time when Bird's Nest Cottage existed. Um, I think because the first owner that we have found of 28 Spencer Court was William L. Cobb. Um, who happened to have the same last name. He was born uh, in Virginia to parents who had been born in Virginia, appears to have no relation to H.A. Cobb. We looked deeply into the ancestry.com um, census records and H.A. Um, Cobb himself did not seem to have any connection um, to uh, he didn't have any sons. There wasn't anyone else to, who would have taken over Bird's Nest Cottage aside from potentially Bainey Cobb. Um, but there doesn't seem to be a record of transfer that we've been able to find yet. Um, and William L. Cobb arrived in Sausalito around 1905, and he was a mining engineer who went to Stanford. Um, <coughs> And he and his wife seemed to host some social events, but did not um, otherwise have a, a significant role in, um, in local or state history. Um, and then zooming in on the, on the building itself, this is the, the footprint that is shown um, as a, a small one-story building. And this back edge, along here, if you could see my cursor, is actually largely similar to what is there now um, at the back of the building, um, which is kind of an odd little hodgepodge of zigzags. Um, 
So Spanish colonial revival sometimes does have these, often does have a series of volumes that relate to each other. Um, this is a little bit funky. It lends one to believe that it's unlikely um, that any prominent architect was involved. Uh, we don't really have any record of, you know, building permits or uh, plants other than the sandboard map at this time. Um, and then as we go forward, um, I'll switch to the photos so you can see this is the house now. Um, there's this, been a series of additions. So this living room volume was added um, at some point. The second floor was added at some see, point. Excuse me, I can't see any of these additions. You're just cursing on the on the Sanborn map. Is that what you're doing? Oh, sorry. Let me make sure that you can see this. I think, I think I'm having a sharing challenge. Thank you for letting me know. Let's see. You may have to stop share and then reshare. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I've paused the time. You're at about six and a half minutes left. Okay. Thanks, Adam. Okay, can you see the photos now? Yes, thank you. Okay, great. So this is the building that is there today. And this volume of the living room was added at some point. Um, and, and there are a number of building permit records. This seems to have happened before any of the building permit records. Um, this volume on the front was also added at some point. The second story itself was added at some point um, and also in addition on the on the rear. So um, I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit so that I can show you where that is. So this upper addition is the one that we have um, in the permit records uh, that we know was added uh, later on top of what is the dining room below. Um, but as you can see, it, there's been lots of pieces along the way that have been added to it. Um, and then I'm happy to walk through as well. You know, we focus primarily on the story around um, the ownership and the question of Bird's Nest Cottage and um, and that chain of ownership to, to understand what had happened there. Um, but of course we can talk about the the building itself as well. Um, my understanding was that it was only before the, um, only necessary to do the this evaluation process because uh, of that original um, designation on the noteworthy list. Um, so that was what we mostly focused on because the original um, 1977 resource survey evaluation noted that the building had been significantly altered over the years and added to um, and mentioned that the historic significance of the property was its really connection to H.A. Cobb as the builder. Um, now, given that it appears to be constructed after he died um, and to not be there when Bird's Nest Cottage existed, uh, it seems like there's likely, there likely was some uh, mistaken identity along the way because William L. Cobb has the same last name, um, which is 
understandable. Um, so we're mostly wanting to get that sorted out. Um, but I can talk a little bit more about the building itself too, um, unless you have questions about what I've already talked through in terms of the, the people in, in the chain of title. Any questions of the applicant? <clears throat> we have all the material you just have gone through in our packets. So thank you for going through them again. I think you actually had maybe one or two Sanborn maps. It wasn't in the original packet. Um, any questions? Uh, Vice Chair Newman, it looks like you might have one. I just have a question about the fact that in the materials we've looked at, uh, Okay, it goes from 28 Spencer Court to 26 Spencer Court and then back to 26. Oh, yes, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. That was another sort of odd quirk is that it's listed on the, the historic survey as, um, as 26 Spencer Court. And it's listed in the Chris and the NWIS databases as 26 Spencer Court. Um, and you know, on some of those Sandbor maps, you do see the neighboring adjacent property, which is now 19 Prospect, um, numbered as 26 Spencer Court. And, um, you know, I don't know if they ever actually used that address or if that might be part of some confusion back in 1977 um, as to which building they were going to look at. But, um, that is another kind of odd piece of the puzzle a little bit um, in terms of understanding how 28 Spencer Court got on the noteworthy list. Um, and But, you know, unwinding all the story of Bird's Nest Cottage, um, I think is, is a bigger piece of the puzzle than that. And that seems like maybe a typographical issue that, that came up along the way. Um, it may or may not make it easier to um, to take this property off the noteworthy list since the databases are all listed as 26 rather than 28. I think it's only the Sausalito list that lists it as 28 Spencer Court. One, one more quick question. Uh, when was the last edition? You pointed to um, several of them. When, what, yeah, what year was the last edition? Let me, let me double check. I believe that was the 70s. Um, sorry, I'm just pulling, pulling up that permit history again. Or Adam, if you have it handy, um, please feel free to jump in. Here we go. Um, Looks like the garage was constructed in 1990, and then there was an addition of 440 square feet in 88 above yes. the dining room. Yeah, I just <laughs> as well. 19. Oh, there I see it. Yeah. Um, Permit number A052939998. Renovate second floor plus addition of 440 square feet above existing, and that was that flat roofed right piece that you showed us. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's that my on uh, that's my understanding. I mean that is above the dining room and the flat roof looks like it's likely an addition from the from the 80s. Um, you, would you just mind pointing that out? Do you have a cursor? Yeah. Thank you. 
we don't know where the room, all the rooms are in the house. Yes, I know. There so this is, is the, the aerial view. You can see here this gray roof. Right. Okay. Um, was added at some uh, in 1988. So any other questions? I have a couple. Uh, I'll wait if others have a question. David, are, are you, would you like to ask anything else? No, that's fine. Thank you. Okay. Bill or Nate? Uh, I saw four little buildings in the back, and but I don't see them here in the picture. Can you tell me about, tell us about that? Yeah, the most of those are no longer there. Um, there is Just a little, sheds or what? Yeah, they must have been little sheds of some sort. Um, I not an AUD. No, no. The um the the junior accessory unit we're we're looking to put in will be within the the new footprint of the building. It's just converting the basement, basically the lowest level, um, into a, a proper ADU. Then what is this little addition in the uh, center uh, lower portion? Um, a, a um, yes, that one. This, what is that? That is. That looks it, like an add-on. It looks so much like an add-on, but it is actually almost exactly the same size and shape as the original footprint from 1909 for 1919. My apologies. Um, which is surprising to me. It has a very awkward um, little edge here where the roof is particularly low because they extended the gable down, but sort of chopped it off in a funny way. And the, there's a door that you know barely has enough clearance to open. It's, it's an awkward little um, spot, but apparently it's been there a very long time. So I would just like to, um, I, guess, I guess I'd like to say that since we're using the Sanborns that we, we don't know clearly when this was built. It's either been between 1909 and 1919. There was a flurry of building activity in Sausalito in about 1911, which was shortly after water came um, mm -hmm. Sausalito and a lot of uh, sort of chamber booster activity about um, buying here and, and living here. I, um, I appreciate all the work you've done. Uh, I am, this is always a, uh, a point that I like to ask about. Um, I appreciate your uh, research on the Cobbs. Uh, General Cobb actually owned the area above this you see Cobb Avenue on the maps. Mm -hmm. so they were very, they lived very close to one another, um, but I think you've um, managed to, at least at this point, distinguish the individuals as not related or not being in the same dwelling. But one thing that it always bothers me when I see it in a staff report or I hear it from uh, an applicant um, because you know you're trying to do some improvements and make this um, functional for your clients in the present day. So when I hear that something's been significantly altered and I don't see anything in the building records, even current times that significantly have altered something, I wonder if you know we don't have benefit of looking inside this um, to see where these changes were made. I did go up and. Uh, 
walk in the driveway today and I was hoping someone wouldn't think I was crazy, but I <laughs> took a look up there and realized I probably should go to the door and introduce myself. But if you could go to the front facade, there was a comment here. Sure. About, um, I think there was an addition, was there an addition to the front at one point and a door was moved or something like that? I don't know where I saw that, let's see. There was a comment about the entry stairs being reoriented, I believe. Yeah. So where, so where do you think these changes, uh, if you could point out where these were made? In other words, you know, some changes are, I'm not making an evaluation of this yet, but some changes are absolutely quite uh, minor and can be, um, you know, not, um, totally disqualifying. So I'd like mm -hmm. to just understand to your knowledge from your architectural um, uh, expertise and the fact that you've been inside and probably been able to observe maybe where some of these changes, if you could kind of go around and um, tell us what you think the major changes are. We just heard that that little anomaly in the back was someone's yeah. folly. It may not be you know, the most architecturally uh, brilliant um, way to build, but it's been there a long time, appearing uh, almost to be at least on the Sanborn maps as an original structure. So if you could help me understand that, I'm, I'm trying to justify this significant change in my mind because I'm not seeing it, but I'm not uh, saying that it didn't happen. I just want to understand more. Sure, can... sure. Thank you. Yeah. So, so starting just to address the, the garage, this is the the garage that was added and this is the the current stair um i don't have records of um what the where the the stair was previously um it does kind of arrive at the at the top here of that stair you're just looking at and um this photo is a little bit distorted as well given the angle um but it does kind of have a funny shift and this entry sequence is a little bit um a, a little bit of a sidestep um to get up there and has some some odd little corners and whatnot um so i imagine that that is what happened as part of the construction of the garage um and we don't really have good records of what it what the circulation path was before the other pieces that we you can see from the Sanborn maps and, and the change over time um, and is that this volume and the deck and the deck in particular has gone through a number of revisions um, and changes over the years and this volume on the front of the house which maybe I'll switch to uh, here you can kind of see it from the side um, that was added at some point, but probably before the permit records that we can find. Um, and this is the living room volume. So let me see if I can. So this is the living room, which was added at some point as well. Um, and up here, you can see the, the upper story um, in the back was added in, um, in 1988. Uh, the second floor, it, 
also must have been added at some point, um, but we don't have specific records about when the second floor was added. Um, it says renovate the second floor. Could the second floor have already been there earlier than eight? Yes, I think probably the the this part of the second floor um, was there. Let me switch to the uh, aerial so you can see a little. So I think this part of the second floor was there first, and that we don't have a good record of. And then this part of the second floor was added where the gray roof was in 88 um, at that point. And, you know, looking also I think some of those records, there's been a number of, of significant renovations to the interior along the way. Um, you, know, you can see in the permit in the permit record that the, um, the kitchen was um, renovated, I think three times and um, the entire main floor was renovated. Um, and I think, uh, you know, all the doors and windows are not necessarily up to date, but they're clearly not original. Um, and the building itself has a lot of um, maybe more 80s uh, details to it um, in terms of the, the interior. Um, it doesn't feel like there's much historical integrity inside, um, inside the building. So we normally just deal with the exterior. I just thought yes. you knowing the inside, if there'd been like some, you know, weight bearing walls or something structural inside that might've been uh, in conjunction that suggested a revision or something. Um, okay. Um, I think that's all my questions for now. Anyone else have any questions? Is Bill still with us? Yeah, I am. Okay, thanks, Bill. I couldn't see. I'll get a different view. There you go. I, okay, if there's no more can you, can, can you hear me now? Yeah, thank you. Oh, good. There, if there's no more questions of the applicant, um, let's see if the public has any questions, and then we'll come back with comments after we've heard from the public. Adam, would you like to call for public comment? Yes, if there are any members of the public who would like to make a comment, <clears throat> please raise your hand in the Zoom application. Or if you're calling in from a phone, you may press star nine. And each member of the public will have three, three minutes to comment. And I'm not seeing any hands raised, Chair Nichols. Yeah, I can't get my uh, bar up with the share screen, so I can't see anything. I'll rely on you. Oh. Seeing none. Um, Let's close public comment and we'll bring the discussion back up to the commissioners. And Megan, you can stop sharing screen. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Okay, there we go. Thank you. So would anyone like to start um, on comments? You guys aren't very talkative tonight. Oh, I'll I'll start it. Okay, like. Bill. Thank you. I mean, I, th th this gets me to some extent back to uh, Commissioner Berkowitz's comment about time. Um, it, it seems to me that we are devoting a huge amount of our time 
and a huge amount of staff time to a very small addition to a building which represents uh, the, the, the sort of best of the of of the of the bug like expansion uh, or the, or the the, uh, the viral expansion of buildings in Sausalito, which which essentially happen because people want to do them and they get away with it usually. Um, but but it's a question of time as well. And as Commissioner Berkowitz points out, you, you know, you, you don't have enough time to uh, to devote to a 109 square foot addition to a building which is nothing but additions. Um, why are we doing this? Why is this our purview? Um, is this little addition that important to the historic nature of the building or the historic nature of our neighborhood? Um, you know, I, 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 I love historic buildings I, and, and I, used to, I used to work on them and, 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 and have done this kind of work. And, um, but this doesn't, this doesn't rise to that level, from my point of view. So as far as I'm concerned, whatever needs to happen to approve it should be done. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with it. Okay, I'd just like to say that I believe the reason that this is here is because it does appear on one of our lists and our ordinance triggers that if it's on the list, it needs to be reviewed. It had a specific code from Chris that when it was placed on here, it's the seven, nine. I understand your point, Bill, totally. Um, this is the first opportunity anybody's heard anything about this building for a long time. So this is our job. Um, you're welcome if you want to make a motion or whatever after you hear from the others. But I think it is uh, uh, more of a process kind of um, exercise and to make sure that uh, the opportunity to take a look at this um, was given before whatever. I don't know what the project is. That isn't our purview. Um, Adam, if there's anything different than that, can you correct the record as to how we got here? That is correct, Chair Nichols. The reason this is brought before you tonight is because it was flagged in our system as being a noteworthy structure when consulting the list. Um, there's one list that lists the Bird's Nest Cottage at 28 Spencer Court, another list at 26 Spencer Court. Um, so to the point of Ms. Sweeney's uh, comments about mistaken identity, I think that's why it's before you tonight. So um, the, the point is not to be punitive on small projects. This is before you because it was listed as a noteworthy structure. So I think it's enough said. Okay, Bill, sorry. Um, I am properly chastised. No, 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 <laughs> no, didn't mean for you to be chastised, just uh, no, never, never mind, never mind, never mind. So, uh, Nate, do you have any comments? <clears throat> I think not. No, I have none. Okay, none thank, for you. thank you, David. Sorry, I think it highlights again what we said in the last session is that we need to get the list of noteworthy structures official, and the sooner the better. 
And so we don't waste time on things like this. My only secondary comment, uh, Megan, is I would hardly call this a typical Spanish colonial revival. It may be, you know, a typical Spanish colonial revival in my history. But at any rate, I would move uh, staff's recommendation. Okay. Is there a second? Any I second it. Okay. Is there any discussion about the motion on the table? Okay, Adam, will you call the vote, please? Yes, Chair. Commissioner Berkowitz. I concur. Commissioner Werner. Yes. Vice Chair Newman. Yes. And Chair Nichols. Yes. And thank you to the applicant and the team for bringing the information to us. Um, there you go. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Okay, um, moving on to item 5C, which is a project at 660 Bridgeway for um, certificate of appropriateness. And Adam, would you like to start the staff report for us? Thank you, Chair. This is the last application on the agenda for tonight. So I'm gonna go ahead and give a brief presentation. We also have the architect for the project on the call, as well as I believe the property owner. Um, but I'm gonna go ahead and give a brief presentation. Just let me share my screen. Okay. And the application before you tonight is a request for a certificate of appropriateness at 660 Bridgeway. And that is project ID 2022 uh, 76. <clears throat> the site location, it is located um, in the historic overlay district. It is noted as a contributing building within that district. It's in the CC, which is the central commercial district, and it is a multi tenant commercial building. <clears throat> the building was constructed circa 1941 and is referred to as the Purity Store building because the building was erected for. The Northern California chain of mid 20th century grocery stores, the purity stores. These are some photos that the applicant included in their plans. Um, these are the two main facades where the building or where the work is being proposed. Uh, you'll notice the photo on the left is the rear facade facing the bay. And the work will be taking place here on the first floor, ground floor elevation in the area of this railing right here. And the photo on the right is the front facade. And this is the location of the Barrel House restaurant. And the work being proposed on this elevation is at the second floor elevation here. <clears throat> the request before you for the certificate of appropriateness is for an alteration to the rear deck and the um, assimilated railing to match the existing deck and railing above. And, with, and a proposal to add a second floor front deck and associated railing to match the existing rear deck and railing. Um, so again, these are the elevations being proposed to be altered. It would include replacing the railing here and changing the decking on the rear to uh, match the upper floor elevation. And on the front, a proposal to add glazing or add a or door rather to the existing glazing on the second floor, as well as a deck and railing to match, again, the railing detail that's proposed at the rear. This is a bit more detail provided by the applicant um, and the renderings. So 
providing some material detail for the black steel railing and glass to match the upper floor. Uh, some Ipe deck, which would be um, kind of a parquet style. And then again, painting the fascia to match. <coughs> and then the proposal for the front is again, to match that same railing style. Um, this is a site plan, the right photo showing the rear portion uh, of the site and then the left photo showing the front deck area. Uh, the deck area on the front would be, I believe about five feet, seven and a half inches. You can see here the location of the proposed door where the current uh, window glazing is. And then the proposed railing for the deck would project about one foot over the public right of way. And that's what you're seeing here. <clears throat> Otherwise on the right, you can see the proposal is to install that EPE decking in this area and then replace the railing along here. So in the applicant's analysis, they have highlighted a few features as being character defining for this structure. Um, one being the distinctive two-story concrete arch along with the concrete cross beam that defines the front facade and the primary structural barrel geometry of the building. The large row of windows on the second floor of the southern facade, which is not being proposed to be altered as a part of this request. The second story patio deck at the rear of the facade, and then the boardwalk along the bay at the first floor of the facade. <clears throat> so in the applicant's analysis, they've noted um, a few features as to why they believe that their application uh, conforms to the Secretary of Interior Standards and meets the city's requirements and the required findings to be approved. They state that the project will not alter, damage, or destroy the exterior historic architectural features of the building, and that the proposed design will match the existing decking and railing at the rear, and that the work is intended to emphasize the historic character of the building. Uh, they also state that, um, again, the work will not be altering character-defining features, that it will retain the historic characteristics of the building and avoid the loss of any distinctive materials and features and forms and spaces. <clears throat> and that the examples of craftsmanship that characterize the building will be retained. <clears throat> so staff's recommendation is that the Historic Preservation Commission review the application and requisite findings and either approve the request, deny the request, or continue the request for a certificate of appropriateness uh, for this proposal. Alternatively, the commission may approve the request with revisions, continue the hearing for more information, consider project revisions and the direct, direct the applicant to resubmit for secondary review, or if the findings cannot be made, request that staff return with the resolution of denial, stating the findings of fact and reasons relied, to, relied upon to reach that decision. So that concludes staff's presentation. And at this point, I'll turn it over to you all. Thank you, Adam. Uh, any questions of staff at this point from commissioners? No. No? Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, oh. I'd like to ask a question. Pardon me, David, I couldn't see you. Yes, please. No, that's all right. I, is, can I ask a question about something that's not specific to this part of the project? Um, uh, does it have to do with the venting that was discussed previously? Yes, it does. Well, I was going to ask that too. And I let's let the applicant give their presentation and perhaps it's included. Yeah. You just don't know it. 
because I'm with you, David, I will be asking the same thing. Is that okay? That's fine with me. Okay. So we'll welcome Mr. Mr. Henry, will you be speaking or are you gonna have uh, Mr. Arterberry? Uh, uh, good evening, uh, everybody. Thank you for being here and thank you for seeing this. I, I really appreciate it and, and welcome Adam. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and let Mr. Arterberry uh, lead it off and, and then I'd like to follow up and with a, a few comments at the end. Perfect. So we're gonna uh, have the timer for 15 minutes. That's for your whole team. And if we have any questions, we'll stop the clock. So you make sure you get your full time. All right, great. Um, well, good evening, commissioners. Uh, thank you very uh, much for uh, taking the time to review the project. Um, I, didn't, I don't have an extensive uh, presentation, uh, but what I do have is a three-dimensional model I'd like to share with you. Um, you know, as you recall about, oh, I guess it was about six, eight months ago, we were in front of the Historic Commission um, to discuss the, um, our kitchen vent um, ventilation duct. Now, I just wanted to let uh, the commissioner know that the resolution of that issue was that we are now routing that duct through the building. And what that allows is for the uh, is for the design to conform to the approved elevations. And, um, and that restricts all of the ductwork to a uh, small um, portion of the uh, um, of flat roof near the rear center of the building. And, uh, and again, this was, and it's in conformance with the approved drawings. Um, having said that, you know, that, uh, that previous meeting was, you know, we felt it was important in that, um, um, you know, I recall Vice uh, Chair uh, Newman's comments that that uh, uh, that Bayside elevation was extremely important. You know, it was visible um, from the ferry um, every day by, you know, guests and visitors to the city. And uh, we should take a lot of care in, um, in addressing what goes on there. And so we really uh, internalized that. The owner, um, Chris Henry, internalized that. And when um, the restaurant, the Barrel House, had a fire that um, destroyed a portion of that rear deck and the stair there, um, we took the opportunity to, um, um, to enhance that, that portion of the deck, which was in bad shape prior to the uh, uh, to the fire. So I think at this time, I'll just quickly um, share screen and bring up the three-dimensional model. So we, we took the time to create a 3D model so that you know, we'd, we'd be able to uh, uh, show more completely what's happening. So let's see, advanced sharing on share screen. Okay, let's share the 3D model. All right, is it, uh, is it coming up okay? Usually it takes a second or two, I'm not, there you go. All right. So we might as well start with the rear because I, I feel like uh, both the front and the back are, um, are important. Um, so um, we're not adding to the language of the building. We're really just uh, copying what's happening upstairs uh, down at the bottom. So, 
Um, just to refresh your memory, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm, I'm sure you all know uh, the Barrel House restaurant is on the second level. Now on the lower level is an approved um, new uh, restaurant that's under construction. And there is approved outdoor seating in this area. Now, previously, um, uh, this deck is, was in, in a bit of disrepair prior to the fire. And, uh, but uh, since the fire, um, the decking was replaced. It's really, uh, and the current decking is two by fours on their ends, um, just side by side. Um, but they'll, um, they'll provide a good uh, subfloor for the EPAY, the nice EPAY deck that's coming in. Um, but like I said before, we're just copying down the, uh, the glass and steel rail from above. Um, we want to, you know, trim it out with some uh, nice copper flashing and extend the uh, EPAY deck along the side. Um, Additionally, uh, we want to uh, also include seating for, uh, for the public as required. And, um, and of course, uh, um, uh, provides um, access throughout, public access throughout all the way to the back as required. Um, in, the, uh, in the front of the building, uh, we're proposing adding a, uh, a balcony. Now it's with, the balcony will be within that uh, historic uh, arch that, that Adam mentioned. And it will protrude one foot into the public right of way. So we are requesting an encroachment agreement. Um, we feel as though uh, given that we're not adding to the existing language of the building, um, and we are, you know, and I do know a little about historic uh, uh, secretary of interior standards. I, I did work in a um, historic firm for a couple of years. And uh, so I, although it's been about 20 years, but I, I think I recall that uh, um, you don't want to mimic that original, um, that original style, but at the same time, you want to be in harmony with it. And I think we, um, I think the addition does that. So um, additionally, um, access to the balcony is, is through uh, uh, multi-panel folding doors in the existing um, glass and steel facade. And um, that's the extent of the additions. Uh, I guess uh, one other thing I would point out is that the new equipment um, that, that was in the approved elevations is gonna be going here. And that's the uh, air handler for the kitchen vent exhaust. And the ductwork is gonna come up right next to it and just tie right in. So um, I did wanna address that. It's, um, the ductwork is no longer gonna be anywhere in this area. Um, I guess the, um, the only other thing I'd mention is that um, as the result of the emergency repairs um, to the rear deck and these stairs, uh, these stairs are brand new, but they're, um, uh, but they're a virtual replica of what was occurring previously. And the 
the structure of the um, uh, all the wood members and structure in this rear area was replaced. And I, I think that's about it. Thank you very much. Anything else that the team would like to add? Uh, I'd, I'd like to, it's uh, Chris Henry here. Uh, again, thank you for your time tonight. I, I appreciate uh, your guys' input and, and uh, uh, the overall goal is to tie the building together uh, right now. Uh, it feels a little incoherent with, with the, the different uh, decking styles. So th the idea is to have it all flow and, and have a, a similar feel while still keeping uh, you know, the character of the building um, and making use, uh, for example, on the front deck, making use of, of what's actually already there is an existing <clears throat> deck. But it would be nice for people to have to have an area where people could congregate and enjoy and look out on the street and enjoy a cup of coffee or, you know, a croissant or, or a, a cocktail uh, and, and be able to have a, a, just a, a different experience. And, and I, I think that's <clears throat> today, you know, with all the stuff that's going on with the war and <clears throat> the, the economy and, and uh, inflation, you know, people want to get out and they want to have experiences. And, and that, that's what we try to do as, as owner operators of, of restaurants is we create an experience. Um, and and that's, that's our goal. It, and if you could have somebody come in and, and have a memorable experience and really enjoy themselves, you know, I've done my job. And, and, and that's what, you know, hospitality is, is really all about. And I, I feel that, that by uh, incorporating this existing deck area and, and making it uh, available to the public, it, it, it creates another experience uh, for people to come in and, and enjoy Sausalito. They, they have a different perspective of, <clears throat> of, of the, the street area, uh, of what, you know, Sausalito is about. Uh, it, it's, you know, a wonderful city. And I, I grew up in Sausalito and, and, uh, uh, th that's the main goal is, is to tie the, the, the building together so it all has some congruency and, and has a similar feel and, you know, just create a, a better experience for people, uh, a more memorable experience. And, and I think that this deck here in the front would do that. Uh, and, and then in, in the back, uh, as Mr. Art Artiberry mentioned, uh, we we had a, a grease fire. Thank God it wasn't wasn't super bad, but the, the thank goodness the firefighters got there and, and and put it out quickly. But during that emergency repair, we, we discovered that some of those members were uh, corroded and rotten that were holding up the deck. So we were able to you know re replace that in kind, and and so we we, we feel there, there's a nice area there to to re-invite the public back over and have them, have them enjoy. It's a, it is a public area, public thoroughfare. And we'd like to create more, more synergy, more energy downtown and have people just come and enjoy it, you, you know, enjoy the view, enjoy the, the, the food and, and uh, you know, just to enjoy the experience. Uh, and that, that's, that, that's what the main goal here is, uh, is to, you know, and respect and the integrity and the design of the building. It's a, it's a, it's a great building, you know, uh, 
I've always loved the architecture and uh, you know, there's a lot of history there and we certainly want to re retain that. But at the same time, we want to, you know, have people enjoy it and, and, and really feel good about it and, and have a, have a memorable experience. So I think that that's the overall goal is to, you know, help drive more traffic downtown. Uh, it's been a hell of a couple of years. It's just been awful, you know, with COVID and everything closing and, and it's, you know, time to open up and, and, and let, let's bring more people downtown and, and uh, have them, have them enjoy the space. The only thing I, I would mention that, that I would change in, in the design here is I, th I think in the rendering here, the, the glass panels go over a little further than the, the property line. And we, we probably would bring that back a little bit. Uh, but, but still, the, there would be, you know, benches there, you know, public can come in and sit and enjoy the view. And if they want to have a, a cocktail or, or a meal, they're, they're welcome to do that. And I'm happy to answer any questions that anybody might have uh, with regard to this that I can answer. Thank you. Any questions of the applicant? Nate? My recollection of the building was that after Purity left, the Kingston Trio was in was playing in the old yacht club and needed parking, and they used to then for I don't know enough about that remember enough about that history, but it would be worth having a nice plaque describing the purity uh, opera the purity style, and how it then became a part of downtown. Uh, Sausalito. So I asked, would you entertain some kind of a <clears throat> project like that? I, I think that's a great idea. And, and uh, a memorabilia plaque. Uh, uh, I, I think that's a, a real nice idea. We, we could maybe even take that one step further and, and we could, we could uh, post, you know, two or three pedestals with a little history of you know, maybe not just the Kingston Trio, but maybe, you know, what was there before, you know, the the original, you know, ferry landing. And then as people walk along, they could see a, a secondary little pedestal or sign or, or whatever you decide or we decide. Uh, just just you know, to explain a little bit more about the history of, of the building and the location, you know, a little about the purity market. And then maybe the next one, uh, uh, a little plaque about the Kingston trio. I, I, I think that's a great idea. It, it, anything that we can do to involve the, the public in, in interaction and in learning and, and just enhancing the experience, you, you know, that, that's, I, to me, that, that's what it's all about. I think it's a great idea. So Thank you. We conduct um, through the Sausalito Historical Society, there's a program for third graders. One of the units we do is bringing them into the downtown historic district. This is one of the buildings where we stop. There mm -hmm. is a plaque outside of this now. So anything about just asking, um, you know, an applicant to put up a plaque, I'd like to have a broader conversation about that, frankly, um, that we have this plaque policy, but certainly if you wanted to incorporate anything inside, that's, you know, you could do that as well. Okay. Um, yeah, I have a, a, a question about, um, 
I think I noticed in the packet. Let's can we swing around to the front deck, please? Are you able to do sure. that, Millard? Absolutely. Okay, terrific. Thank you. That's very cool to be able to do that. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's fun software. As I understood from reading the um, packet, there is no application for signage here, but I see the signage on the front of the deck. So are you um, intending to replicate the size, the same font? Is that part of this? Usually, usually in an addition, you'd ask for some signage. So I just want to get an idea of what you would like to see. Uh, that's a great question. Um, our intention in, in this design was to uh, really take the existing signage and uh, keep it at the, the very same height that it's at right now and just uh, um, attach it to the front of the, uh, of the railing. Again, so it'll be a, a minimal change there in terms of the signage. Okay, just for the sake of completeness, that would be great to get that into the record that that's your intention because it's really not part of this application and it's kind of leaves a question there that we want to pin down, I would think. Okay. Okay. And then my other question is, I appreciate your comments uh, addressing our uh, concerns about the heating equipment. And as I did last meeting, my hats off to the owner, Mr. Henry, who went through great lengths before to make sure that these uh, equipment on the roof was not visible. We had multiple site visits with him and his contractors to locate that <laughs> equipment. So when you look mm. down Bridgeway, you weren't seeing these uh, obtrusions in the roof. I'm not quite sure how that was addressed um, on the on the backside. If you could, are, is there gonna be anything extended from the roof. I understand the duct work is going inside, but I wasn't clear on what it's gonna look like on the roof. Well, we, we were able to, to figure out how to reroute the, the duct so we could put it actually inside the building. Okay. Uh, and, and get it out of the view of the outdoors. Um, but basically what it does is, is it, it comes up through the, the ceiling down below through the uh, back of the house of the kitchen upstairs. And then it'll penetrate through the roof. Uh, there, there will be a piece of equipment uh, uh, up there, but but it's next to uh, other ex existing equipment. And and I, I think uh, I, I think we, we have to take another look at it. But I think we, we may want to put in another uh, another piece of siding around it, just to as we did the other ones. Uh, you, you know, I don't think you're going to see it anywhere really, except maybe from the, from the, the ferry, which is important, but, uh, I don't think you're going to see it, you know, coming down bridgeway, you're not going to see it. And, uh, e either way on bridgeway, you're not going to see it. Uh, so, so we, we may want to put a screen on that, on that back section, uh, just to hide it from, from the ferry. Okay, it would be helpful just for the sense of the review and what we're talking about um, for uh, when you get, when you've selected your equipment um, to just include the height and the possibility that you're entertaining that. Um, to me, that shows you've addressed that and okay. had a chance to at least discuss it and see that your intention, as it sounds, is to mitigate those new um, impacts. Sure. Or to minimize what you what you need to function by the use, you know, you clearly need it. 
Sure. But you're willing to minimize that and how you might do it. Okay. It's not a huge piece of equipment. And and there again, you're not going to see it from any angle except maybe maybe from the from the bay you, you might see just the top edge of it but i think we could mimic the the one that's in the front okay and, and, and maybe yeah, kind of do one in the back kind of like that yeah maybe just a sentence or two that's not a big deal that would be sure. just just to get that comment in there i'd appreciate that um, okay because it's a pretty prominent building as you know and then my other question is in the back um in the back, what we're calling the boardwalk. I know that's a public public access path. I don't want to go too far over Preservation Planning Commission because I know they're going to go over this with you. But my question is, um, is the, the depth of the deck to accommodate that public access pathway that you have to allow passage of around the building because of BCDC, or have you satisfied that by putting the bench there, what I think, which I think is rather new, right? That that permanent bench, or am I I could be wrong about that. Uh, the, there are a couple benches that that are, are required to to go there. Uh, it, but actually what we're what we're doing is we're uh, uh, increasing the the public access, if you will, by, by having this, this railing here and bench. Uh, so so we're, we're actually making it more user-friendly for, for the public to come in and sit down. Okay. It's gonna be, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question or. Well, yeah, I just, it, you know, I didn't know if historically there was a depth on this, but then I thought maybe you were trying to address some other regulatory requirements you had there. So I was just trying to clarify that. Yeah. So it, may not been, it may not be the depth of, you know, a historic desk, uh, deck, if you will, but it's functional and it's being, it's being proposed at this size to, you know, address your other obligations. Sure. And give you um, what you need back there in terms of seating and everything. Yeah, yeah, and we're not we're not changing, you know, we're not adding on to it or changing the the size. Uh, okay. I, I, yeah, I think I think the the area next to the building, though, and and Mr. Arterberry, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but is that is that going to be elevated a little bit? That's right. Um, we're um, because we're uh, bringing in the new EPA deck. We're going to have to dig out a little. Um, you know, just because EPA needs a little bit of breathing room. And uh, um, as a result, we just want to, um, uh, we need to match the uh, the floor level of the interior. So it's just elevated a little. And, and I just wanted to point out in terms of the depth of that, that area around the, uh, the bench, um, right now it's just, it's uh, meeting ADA requirements for, you know, for an aisle width and for um, um, slope. So it's technically a, uh, um, um, a, oh, what are those things called? A ramp. It's technically yeah. a ramp right there. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, any other questions? That sort of clarifies why this design, um, to me, why this design is, is being proposed right adjacent to this building. Any other questions? Okay, um, did we have public comment? 
I don't know how many other people are still on the call. I can't, like I say, I can't see participants, participants when we're sharing. I believe, Chair, at this time, the only participants on the call are the applicants and the commissioners. <laughs> All right, it's down to us, huh? Okay, um, then let's close public comment on this item. Um, I'm just trying to look if I have any other comments. No. Um, would anybody else like to start a discussion? We're being asked uh, several things here to approve the, the back deck and to uh, and consider the front deck addition. That's exactly what we're being asked. Yeah. Any comments? Vice Chair Newman? Yeah, I've got, from my perspective, there's good news and bad news. Uh, so I'll start with the good news, which is the ocean side or the bay side is vastly improved by this design. And whether it was caused by the fire or not, or whether it's the reason that you have a new restaurant, uh, at any, having gone by that for, I don't know how many years, until COVID uh, twice a day, uh, the lower floor was really, as I've said before, I'll be polite, unimpressive. And so this would be much better in terms of bringing some continuity to the, that side of the building. Um, and I think the whole idea of how you're integrating public access with the private use of uh, the restaurant will actually add to the sense of vitality of the, the building as, you, as people are coming and going on the ferry. Uh, for those of us that live here and for those of us that are visiting. And I think that will be to your betterment as well in terms of marketing this, this uh, or I guess now two different restaurants. The bad news for me is the front. I, I don't agree with the balcony. I, I don't think it subscribes to the Secretary of Interior standards. I think that on, under the findings that treatment of historic commercial properties 2.1 for a commercial storefront building a rehabilitation project should preserve character defining features. I think this does not preserve character defining features. In fact, in your own application, you mentioned that the building's character defining features have been identified as number one, a distinctive two-story concrete arch along with a concrete cross beam that defines the facade and primary structural barrel geometry of the building. I think the balcony takes that, <laughs> does not do that. I think it takes it away from the cross beam um, I question the reversibility idea that's being argued. I think that it will be a distraction to the architectural character of the building. And I would strongly suggest that you eliminate that part of your project proposal. And in my opinion, you'd proceed with the remainder. Um, and that's my comment. Good Thank news you. and bad news Thank from you. me anyway. No, thank you, David. Uh, Bill, do you have any comments? Uh, yes, I, I do. I, um, am, am I, may I speak? Am, am I on? 
Yep, you have the floor. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, I agree um, pretty much with everything that uh, Vice Chair Newman has said. Uh, I, I too am concerned about that balcony and, and the uh, adjustment of the signage and so forth on the front of the building. All, all of which um, is not, not really part of the original arch and, and, and cross beam. Um, and, and it has always been interesting to me to understand what the structural issue was that caused them to have to put those cross beams on those arches in the first place. Uh, that, that, you know, an arch is an arch and, and putting something at the sort of neckline of, of what amounted to a partial arch anyhow, um, it, it struck me as being peculiar. On the other hand, I didn't want to pursue that because I, I thought that would just get too deeply into the weeds. What we've done here, though, is is um, expanded the footprint of the restaurant as well. Um, maybe it's not very much, but even if it is only a foot or a foot and a half, the floor area of the restaurant has been expanded. Um, that, to me, is is um, kind of a warning sign that that maybe we should look at this again. Um, it seems to me that if the applicant wanted to, uh, they, they could accomplish the same thing. And, and I would, maybe Vice Chair Newman would still disagree with it, but if it came back to its original position uh, with that lower beam in, in line with the arch um, and, and the uh, the outside seating was pulled back further into the existing restaurant in order to get more apparent outside seating. Uh, that, that might be an interesting alternative. On the other hand, what it would mean is you'd have to come in and put the railing up, which is contrary to, to the original design. Um, but I can understand why they would want to do this and would want to do this in this manner. <laughs> um, I guess I'd like to hear your comment before I, I settle on, on, on my own point of view here. I think the rest of the building is great, but simply. Thanks, Thank Bill. you, Mr. Henry. Uh, Nate, do you, would you like to comment on the? No, um, I'm li I'm listening. Okay, you're you're gathering your thoughts. Tell me when you're ready to share. Um, I'll go ahead and give mine. Um, I am very happy about the improvements made to the back. I think they're um, uh, just the right thing to do. Um, this is a historic structure that has a a huge present from the streetscape. Um, this will manage to give the applicant um, 
an attractive uh, way to uh, increase the business and share with the community. As he said, I totally understand his intentions. And I think by doing it at the back, um, it's not distracting out of the character defining features. I had, um, I have the same concerns about this balcony. I'm not sure, um, for me, the, the little amount that it will increase the space is, I, I can't square it with what I feel is distracting to the architecture that is so prominent. And, uh, you know, I, I hadn't thought of Bill's recommendation, but I, um, I, I just don't think that it, it, I don't think it enhances anything. I understand why it's being presented. I think it's been done in a, you know, thoughtful manner, the way it's been presented, but I don't think that it uh, complements the historic uh, characteristics of this um, structure. I would be um, able to make the findings for the back decks, but at this point, I would not be able to go with this as the um, the plans are shown and I would um, recommend that this portion not be included in the other and I could make the findings um, for uh, appropriateness. Um, I don't know if that helps, but um, Nate, would you like to? Yeah, I like the balcony and I'm putting myself in the position of being a customer. And I have eaten there, not recently, but before pre-pandemic. Um, and I kind of like the idea of sitting out on um, a balcony all over the street. Um, and the only question I, would ha I really have about it, would I really like to sit there, is the uh, question of uh, would it be too cold at night uh, with uh, the wind blowing and from the off the really off the ocean um, so and as a um, I'm putting myself in the position of being a customer rather than a sitting here as a commissioner is it really the way it was built and I don't I don't know, I don't remember, because I, I remember the building, but I don't remember how this second floor actually was put together. Um, and I think if you've got to go back and look at it that way, before you can make a, a historical comment about the front balcony. So I would like to hear from someone as to what did, the, what did it look like uh, there? So, uh, sorry. Was it just storage? Was it just storage for the grocery store, or was it something more? <clears throat> so, I'd like to suggest that what we're we're being asked to do tonight is to look at these additions to the existing structure. The significance was um, reviewed and determined. Uh, to define which the characteristics were in the initial um, application for Mr. Henry's initial barrel house application when he first designed and changed the structure for the current restaurant. So what we're really wanting to talk about tonight is not 
per se what it looked like before or replicating what it had been, but what these particular um, proposals <clears throat> due to the existing structure with those areas that have been defined to be important vis-a-vis -vis the, the barrel roof, the concrete barrel roof, and the horizontal um, beam, if you will, uh, across the front and inter intersecting the um, barrel roof. So those are, I think, <coughs> it would be, if you had comments on that, that I think that would be the most helpful for our applicant and for staff. Well, I think you I think you have to look at that. What what was that uh, horizontal beam up there for? And it probably was for a sign saying Purity Foods. Okay. I think you have to go back and take a look uh, historically. How did it look before? Okay. When it was how was how was it built? Why was built? Bill says that maybe it was because there was some reason for putting a beam across there, or maybe there was not, but I think it was to hold a sign. Okay. Let me, let me just... I'll offer something. I'll offer something on this. Yeah. All the purity stores look like this right. with the cross beam. Right. And I think it was their commercial identity. That was in that. And I'm not sure, Bill, do you even know if there was a second floor in this building originally, or was it a high volume space? I don't know that answer. That That's easy. To um, find. I wish I did. Well, that's a, that should be easy to find. But the question tonight is, is this uh, addition to that in accordance with historic preservation principles including Secretary of Interior standards. And I would say absolutely not. So, because that is the hallmark of the building because the interiors have certainly changed since it was a grocery store. So um, all that's well, left that, as yeah. a, all that's left is really the arch and the cross beam and the whole sense of the barrel. And even on the bay side, you, you have a hard time even recognizing the barrel that well. So this is the primary, oh. this is the primary elevation of this building. It's on whether what I guess we call a bridgeway at that point. Um, and I think that, I think that's a, incredibly important to maintain. So something occurred to me in some of the presentation when we were around on the uh, bay side, looking at the, um, the deck proposals, there was a, a brief second that there was the um, the barrel roof, the arch, lit up with blue. I'm wondering, do we have intention here to do some lighting as well that we might want to look at if that's to come back up later, or was that a fluke? Um, I just had occasion to be out on the bay over the weekend, and it's very interesting coming back in from sailing and looking at the lights on the buildings on the bay and it was kind of attractive. So I just wondered if there was also a thought about illumination with that in connection with these decks that we really should talk about now if that's wanted so we don't have to come back later and address that. 
I, I, th I think those lights were, were probably from an event that we had uh, because I, I don't know of any color lighting that, that we have on the building. Okay, there was just a there was just a brief second in the slide that it turned all blue, and it may have just been the you know the way the program worked or something. I thought, oh, maybe they're going to light up the back too. So that's what I'm just trying to clarify. Yeah, no, no, we don't we don't have any special lighting. Although, uh, yeah, we we could certainly add it, uh, but I, I think that was probably from a, a party that that we had. That's okay. my guess. Thanks. Uh, can I? Can I? Is it? Okay, if I can make a comment, or or is it not? Is that not good? Well, I'm gonna. I think it's fine. I think we're kind of doing a little back and forth here. We're we're talking. You've heard. I don't think you used up all of your time. Is that true, Adam? I don't think they. Used yes, it. Chair. Um, they have about a minute and a half left. Okay. Well, let's let's you know. I wanted. I want you to be heard. So let's see what you can uh, tell us and we can add to our deliberation. Sure. Uh, I, I had a thought uh, on the, the, the area in the front. Um, I think there's a way, as mentioned, to pull back the, that, that decking and eliminate the, uh, oh, the, the, the hard corners of, of the railing. So, so you would pull all that back. And so you would still see the prominent arch and as well as the, the beam. And I think what that beam was made for is that's a grade beam that ties all the arches together. I think that's part of the, of the structure. That's my, my understanding. Um, but but that, that, would, that would really sort of eliminate that, that protrusion. You know, we'd eliminate that area that's going outside and, and just bring everything back in, inside. Uh, but still it would have an outdoor feeling where people could enjoy that. And there would be heaters there uh, as we have in the back. And the, 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 great, the great thing about where Barrel House is, is it's, it's in a little sort of mini, mini banana belt area. It, it doesn't, uh, just right where it's at, you can sit on the back deck and it rarely gets windy. And uh, I think you would be protected from the wind, not all the time, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it would be pleasant, uh, a pleasant area to sit down and, and have a cup of coffee and, and, and whatnot. But that, that was kind of my, my thinking from, you know, the information that you put forth tonight, you know, minimize that, that railing and have it kind of disappear behind the arches. So you wouldn't even really see it and it would be behind the beam. So, uh, there'd be no protrusion. That, that, that was just a, a comment that I was just just sort of fading into the recessing into the archway. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, you, you know, so some of the area inside the restaurant would, would be sort of become indoor decking areas, uh, you, you know, just to help with flow. So uh, that would minimize any, any work on the out, outside. That, that's just the, the thought that I had. Okay. And it looks like Oh, I thought he'd already done that. Okay, that's interesting. So, so, so the railing would sit behind the the arch, basically, and that that uh, ninety degree upright post would 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 go away, basically. So that it'd just be all glass panels and really fade into. Yeah, exactly. So you wouldn't even really notice in any. Uh, it, it would be the railing would be behind the arch. 
and and behind the 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 uh, the grade beam where where the sign is. And basically, we're we're just taking the existing sign and raising it up. That was kind of the the idea behind that. And, and and looking at now, I think I would probably leave leave the sign. I wouldn't put it on the glass. I would probably just leave it where it is. I think that 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 would be actually better. Okay. Well, thank you for brainstorming with us. Um, are there any other questions from the commissioners? <clears throat> At this point, I don't think that it's reasonable to uh, make decisions based on no. discussions about what's going to happen up there. I think it is much more important for us to see what the what this facade is going to be like um, with the balcony taken away. I think it's perfectly obvious that uh, if you want to deal with the, the, the Secretary of the Interior's uh, way of looking at things, it was this, this arch was never intended to be a platform for people to sit no. and enjoy their martinis. Um, this, this, was some, this was an integral part of, of either the structure or an integral part of the uh, construction of the second floor at some you know, date that we don't know about, um, or 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 some other source. Um, but those sources are something that would be interesting to know about. Uh, but what would be most interesting is what was it originally, uh, and 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 getting back to, uh, you, you know, Justice Scalia's originalism. Um, <laughs> I, That's I, not so where did you get I, there? I would like to. I would like to understand that original barrel house design. Um, it's almost visible up in Hillsburg, but not quite. Um, but okay. so I, I, you know, I, I, I think everything about this project is is a major plus 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 over where it's been, um, except for this which is um, a negative and a fairly substantial negative because this is, this is a primary uh, facade of this building on, 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 on Bridgeway at a very important intersection. So what do we want to do about it? Do we want to celebrate what it was as a purity market uh, or do we want to celebrate it as what we now um, in 2022 uh, think is important to us, which is to have a little skinny balcony for people to maybe sit on outside of a glass wall. Whereas every time I've been to the barrel house and I like it there, um, this whole front end of the, of the second floor has usually been occupied by very raucous groups of people, um, <laughs> and 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 they're having a great time. Um, and you know that's to be encouraged. Raucous people are fun, and this town is filled with places where raucous people ought to be. So, anyway, my, my point is that I think that that this facade needs work. Um, and, and, and I think that we should 
we should not try to we should not delay the project any more than necessary in order to be able to get a response to this drawing. Um, commissioners, may I make one quick comment? Sure, please. Um, I believe that uh, Commissioner Berkowitz is correct. I believe that you know we did a little digging in the uh, in in that uh, that platform, and there's there's structure there, and I believe that um, I saw. Um, pictures of the historic uh, purity market a, a couple of months ago. So I, it's faded a little from memory, but I believe that uh, the, uh, um, the big purity sign was there and probably was being held up by that. So it was, it was just a little piece of the building, you know, for branding and for kind of stepping outside the lines a little. So I just wanted to. Yeah, Un understood. And I appreciate your, your, your comment. Can I interrupt? <laughs> well, we're, I don't there, think there is. I'm looking at my iPhone, and there's a whole history of purity stores. They all have the cross beam. They do not have lettering on them, and they're all over the state. And some of them are shorter than this one, and some of them are bigger than this one, including in San Francisco. And anybody wants to find it, it's right there. <laughs> Uh, in terms of it. And it looks as if some of the stores that was uh, a second floor because they show fire escapes coming out of it. And some of the stores, it wasn't, it was the total volume. So I think where we are is we have in the staff report, um, there are like 20 pictures there. I would say that pursuant to SMC section 10.46.060, the commission may consider project revisions and direct the applicant to resubmit to the Historic Preservation Commission for a secondary review. I was gonna suggest that. I wasn't sure if we were there yet, but it sounded like we were going there. And I wanna ask um, the architect and the applicant if they have I'd rather not take a vote on it if they're willing to um, uh, receive these comments and see if they want to amend their design a little bit in the nature of these um, comments. We can vote it up or down if you like, but yep. I'd like the opportunity to do a little more um, research yourself or thinking, or if you uh, would like to stick with this design, um, you know, we can, we can take a vote at your pleasure. We would want, we would not want to prolong this. We understand you're trying to get this going. Um, but I think that we might get something that might be more agreeable and or might inform you more that you might not want to go ahead with this in light of the comments you've received tonight. So does that sound reasonable? Well, uh, it sound, sounds reasonable. I think we'd like to go back, but I, I had one question. When, when could we get back in front of you for a, a re-review of, of the front? It, it, so, it sounds like everything's okay with the back from everybody. Is that kind of my, my take on it? I believe that's, that's, that was, that's my understanding, Mr. Henry, that the commission was uh, pleased and could make the findings for the back. And, and then, and then, and then. He the could do it that way. I think they have to resubmit the project. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. We're just talking about, you know, I'm sorry, David. Yes. This is not a negotiation on the fly here. 
No, okay. it isn't. It's a, it was a summary of what I felt was the um, thinking of the commission. And if I'm incorrect, then uh, let's, let's uh, you know, make sure Mr. Henry knows about what we were thinking about when we gave our comments. But I agree with you, it's not a negotiation. I, I'm just suggesting we fo follow what's in the staff report Absolutely. under bullet three. I'm gonna ask if it's agreeable to all of you to bring this back or if they want it voted on, it's their option. Um, if, uh, if we sort of go back to the drawing board on the, the front, how, how soon can we reconvene, do you think? I'm going to let Adam talk to that. I know we meet once a month, and I don't believe our agenda has been formulated. So, Adam, could you help Mr. Henry out on a possible meeting? Yes, day? Chair. Um, the next meeting at this point is tentatively scheduled for the third Thursday in June, which I believe is June the 16th. And we are anticipating having a couple other applications on that uh, agenda, but uh, we can certainly place this item on that agenda. Thank you. Okay, I, I would vote if we could uh, uh, reconvene on June 16th, and that'll give us time to, to sort of go back and, 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 and come up with some other alternative idea for the front. Thank you. So is there a motion from the commission that we continue this project with the uh, direction we've given to uh, the applicant and staff and that we come back with this on the agenda? <clears throat> at our next meeting, which is June 16, 2022. Is there a motion? That motion. Thank you, Bill. Second? <coughs> okay, David, I see your hand and your- I'll second, second. I'll second it. Okay, there's Nate, all right. Okay, um, do you, you wanna ask us about the vote, Adam? <clears throat> yes, I will call the roll. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Werner? Yes. Vice Chair Newman? Yes. Commissioner Berkowitz? Yes. And Chair Nichols? Yes. And I want to uh, thank the applicant for um, taking our direction and being willing to come back. And we look forward to seeing you uh, and your ideas for this very prominent and important building in our downtown. Thanks very okay. much. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you very much for your time again. Really appreciate okay. it. Thank Thanks you, Commissioners. Much. Adam. Thank, Thank you. you. Good night. Night. Okay, next in our agenda, we're almost finished. Um, but before we adjourn, it's time for communication. So I want to ask our commissioners if they have anything they'd like to bring up that Adam can note for us as communications. Anybody have any comments? We can't discuss them at length, but we can, you know, if it's something we need to talk about in the future, we can try to get it on our agenda. You may not have any. Nothing. Pardon? <coughs> Do you have something, Bill? You kind of froze up. Okay. Ooh. Commissioner Werner, it may help if you turn off your video, it might help your audio.
think he, he wants to tell us something, but we're just having a little transmission trouble. Going on. Adam, are we able to use the chat where you could put it in chat? Or I believe so. Bill, would you be able to type it into the chat and then Adam could uh, read it to us? What's the matter? We're not able to hear you, Bill. Uh, what about now? No. Yeah, now, yeah go ahead. Better. Do you have me now? Yes. Okay. What What was the question? <laughs> so we're we're it's. <laughs> So we're moving on to any communications from members. So if you wanted to uh, bring up any item, uh, now's your time to oh. bring it up. Well, I have, I have none. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, anyone else? None, Berkowitz, none. Okay, Vice Chair Newman. Yes, um, I'd okay. like, to know the status on the construction that is on Bridgeway for what I call the ice cream shack uh, that's between the hotel and the condominium project. And I don't remember the name of that place, but- um, Leopards. Thank you, Leopards. Leopards. It's, it's being built out over the sidewalk. And I recall, uh, either the HPC or its predecessor, the HLB, reviewed a project for that, which included adding a second story, but it certainly did not include building something out over the existing sidewalk. Uh, and so I'd like staff to investigate what that is and let us know. I can certainly do that. I'm also looking at the current project. So if you'd like me to comment on that now I can, or we can address this at the next meeting as well. I think if we do it briefly, if there's just a quick update, we're not really sure. getting into the Brown Act too much, just a brief update, that would be fine. Thank That's all sure. I'm asking for. Yeah. It looks like an application has been submitted uh, March 29th of this year for proposed changes to facade encroachment and signage. I am also looking at <clears throat> Marin maps and it looks like this address is located on the border of the historic overlay district, but just outside of it. It's directly adjacent to it, but just outside of it. Um, so it is currently under review, this application. Um, it just says received at this time. So no comments have been made, um, and there, but there is an application on file for work at this address. Thank you, Adam. I think that, does that help you, Chair Newman, Vice Chair Newman? Meaning this is at the staff level right now, is that correct, Adam? That's correct. Okay. Um, it is it is entered in as a changes to an approved project with an encroachment. So I do believe this will be going to the planning commission 
but without reviewing a full scope, I don't want to comment too prematurely on that. Right. And it would not come to HPC because it's just outside of the district. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. And the building, of course, is not considered to be a historic resource, correct? Unless the, it's not currently listed as a historic resource, no. So the only confusion, and I know we don't want to extend this, but I can't understand why it was brought to the HLB or the HPC previously, because I was there when it was brought in. So that's my secondary question then. I could do some further research on our old files. Our current permit tracking system only goes back to 2017, 2018. So I could look through old files to see when that might've gone. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Chair, Vice Chair Newman. Um, I wanted to just, if everyone else has had their chance, I wanted to um, just confirm something that I mentioned before. And that was that uh, Vice Chair Newman and I met a while ago and we made a list uh, going over the goals that you all sent into the general plan commission before I joined your commission. And we made a list of projects and things that we wanted to accomplish or we thought were important that we wanted to bring back to the whole commission to see if we could prioritize those things and start getting some things done. I think we've all heard tonight how important getting our inventory done is. So um, what I suggest, and I didn't bring it forward because we've had a little staff shuffle and it's extra work, but I, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and do the list and ask if Adam will just send it to all of you in between the meetings so you can kind of look at it at your leisure and that we have something on the agenda next time to uh, see if we can't prioritize some of these things. One of them I can tell you, I've mentioned this before, is a, is a plaque policy. And we had a conversation tonight about adding plaques. Um, there's, you know, there should be some kind of process so we don't have a thousand different kind of plaques everywhere. But I don't want to go into that now because it's not on the agenda. The other thing um, would be helpful for me to know, and I think probably um, the members are curious, Adam, if you could bring back and a one-way communication and get us an update on the current status of our context statement. I understand that uh, Christopher Verplank was working on this and that he had like just a, a section or two to go on, uh, to go before he could complete this. Um, so if we knew if, it, if, if it's just council that we need to you know, lobby to get this on an agenda, but what, what can we do to get that document done? And that's all I had. Um, if you don't, if everybody else doesn't have anything. So, yes. Just a quick follow up on that. If if uh, Christopher Plank is adding to the document that we approved and Planning Commission approved, I think it needs to come back to us again. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And Planning's expecting to, to see it too. They would like to see this get finalized as well. So. They know that we rely on it and they know that um, having it done is helpful to them too. I used to, I used the neighborhood study as a planning commissioner to help me be in the neighborhood. So it's helpful. All right, everybody, you're all good. Should we all go call it a night? Okay, thanks. I'm, for, thanks I move for, adjournment. Okay, I'll second it. <laughs> All in favor? Aye. Aye.
Okay. Thanks, everybody. See you next month. And um, I'll get that list to Adam. And so just expect that you'll see it. And we'll just ask you to kind of give us your thoughts and prioritize what you think we ought to do next. Thanks Thank you, so Chair. Much. And I was making notes as well. So I'll look forward to that. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, everybody. Good night. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thank you.